Welcome to a special mailbag episode of the It's a Mimic podcast, where I, Adam, am sitting down with one of our Patreon subscribers, Travis, who has generously become one of our patrons of Metallic Great Worm Tier. And that means that he's able to sit down and record an episode with us, and he decided that today we're going to be discussing some different ideas and inspirations that revolve around fulfilling the requests that players have for their characters in world. But before we get started into any of that, let's get to know Travis a little bit. Hello, Travis. Hello. I, I already know the answer to this, but are you nervous? Yeah, <laughs> uh, abs- absolutely. Nerves have been racking since 9 a.m. So <laughs> Really? What time is <laughs> no, it there? Uh, currently 8.53. So it's been almost 12 hours of nonstop jitters and stressing out. You do not need to be nervous or have jitters about this. Um, Andre was pretty freaking jittery for his it's Mm. it's a bizarre feeling for me um to have people be nervous to do this because at this point podcasting is just shit that i do in my sleep Uh, as a matter of fact one of the false hydra episodes i don't thoroughly like i don't remember all of that recording because i did it at 2 a.m and there i think it was the the long one that just rambles in the middle for no reason Mm. for like an extra 20 minutes and um, I was tired enough to think I don't really need to edit that out <laughs> and then posted it. So, yeah. <laughs> so you said uh, it's it's eight uh, fifty something over yeah. there. You're an hour ahead of me. Where are you from? What's uh, so I'm in Colorado. Okay. Um, yeah. Got gotta love the uh, Rocky Mountains. Yes, but... me too. Solidarity. <laughs> but yeah, um, pretty easy stuff. Nine p.m. You know, uh, late in the Friday. So this yep. is how we wrap our week up. Um, tell me a little bit about your, your D and D history. when did you start playing? Uh, so I started around 2020. So middle of the pandemic, just like, you know, vast majority, I suppose. Um, and my older brother got me into it. Uh, the first concept I ever had was a, uh, blue dragonborn pre-fizz bands. So rough, yeah. but, um, blue dragonborn cavalier. That's and- commitment. Yeah, I was uh, I was on some impression that it would be super cool and maybe I could talk to someone and, and flavor my mount as a guard drake instead. So I was sold on the on just the thought of it, but in actuality, it would have been pretty difficult. In like 10 years, you should revisit it now that we've got like the Dragonlance one where you can ride dragons. They're actual freaking mm. mounts now. And like, yeah, there's a lot more that Dragonborn can do. And there's a lot more draconic feats and things that are available yeah. as well. So I feel like you you jumped on that uh, about a, two years too early. Right? Just just a bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you have any other hobbies passions like what's your what's your nerd cred um most of my nerd cred is just video games um i've played a vast majority of them um i've been playing destiny 2 and 1 for well since it got released um so much so that i even got a tattoo of it um but so i've got video games under my belt i've got a 3d printer uh i print a lot of minis with the help of my brother Mm -hmm. um and then uh painting them as well um didn't ever think i'd get into the painting scene but uh after i painted my first mini it kind of went downhill or uphill from there depending on how you look at it Um, it looks at it too well, that, that's the thing. I haven't gotten enough for a wall yet. I'm I'm definitely nowhere near Pepperina yet. 
but I I definitely you never, you never will on. be. You never will be. <laughs> I heard I heard on the last episode that she has four printers. It's insane. I, I think she missed one. I think it's five. Oh so, dear lord! At some point in the future, we're going to sit down and talk with her um, about uh, minis. We're going to do an episode on minis at some nice. point. Nice. So, um, I'm looking forward to that. So that's yeah. a, a spoiler. But um, so your brother brought you into D and D. You and your brother close then? Um, far closer than I ever thought we would be. Um, he's definitely more in the friend territory than he is in brother territory. Yeah, much much closer than I ever thought. Uh, he's become you know one of my greatest confidants, one of uh the people I can always rely to be behind my back in any given scenario. But if I'm in the wrong, he'll smack me in the face and tell me so. I've got a younger brother, um, and I'm very much in a similar boat with him. We moved out to British Columbia when when I was six, and so I didn't have any friends. Right, I was going into grade mm-hmm. one with no friends. And, um, like, there was no mom's groups. There's no Facebook groups or meeting people, like, online or anything to, like, socialize your kids. Yeah. So I grew up with just my brother. And then when we turned teenagers, um, I discovered acting and, therefore, girls. And he discovered uh, machine shops and, therefore, partying. And so we went in very different directions and didn't really speak for the best part of, like, eight to ten years. Hmm. And then um, when we got... Uh, my parents were away on a cruise and he needed rides to the hospital. He um, ended up having some sort of medical emergency and he's like, I have no one else. Can you please drive me? And I hadn't spoken to him in months at that point. And I'm like, sure, whatever. And we became friends again, close friends. And then since then, we like, he's probably one of my best friends. He's currently the background on my damn phone. Right. So like, um, which is just stupid and ridiculous. That sounds really dumb when I say it out loud, but like it was at a party, but like, I get that. And he does his own D and D thing and he knows, you know, Dan and the rest of them and Kyle and Terry and like, and he has asked that I don't, you know, bring him into it's a mimics world too much. So, um, so I try to avoid talking about it, but like D and D has definitely become and tabletop role-playing games and stuff have definitely become something that we've bonded over, you know, since we became adults, especially considering we didn't talk for like, yeah, like eight to ten years it was it was a long time where we were just very separate in a lot of ways um and now we're very similar as a matter of fact if you saw us walking down the street you'd pick us out as brothers which was something that would never have happened before so fair enough um yeah, i i i would fully agree that um uh in a similar sense with without D, i definitely think my brother and i would have strayed away from each other yeah um it, so it's a wonderful hobby that a bunch of people should get into <laughs> And I'm sure that they're going to start with Mailbag 31 of It's a Mimic to hear that. Oh, then... totally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's talk about D&D, though, for a sec. You have played, you were telling me before about uh, Blue Dragon Cavalier. And that was your first character. But what is your favorite D&D class or subclass? So my, my players m- might put me on blast for this. Um, but unlike most of them would think it's probably not wizard um i have played five no i've I've played too many wizard subclasses um without trying other classes um i like my spell casters i like my full casters give me those low low hit dice Mm -hmm. um but i have learned that my favorite class is right now at least um sorcerer i've got an aberrant mind sorcerer and it is just 
he's he's rocking house uh first combat we got into i was healing people with wither and bloom i was just tossing out um the hunger of Hadar, keeping enemies at bay I, I battlefield control to the absolute max it was fantastic it's interesting that you went with sorcerer for that because a lot of people use either um bard or druid as mm-hmm. the full caster you know um battlefield control so Yep. that's cool to hear someone else embrace sorcerer there are not enough sorcerers in the world from in my opinion right mm-hmm. i always have a paladin i always have a warlock and a barbarian and a rogue, rogue. yeah mm-hmm. so many rogues yeah. um but uh but no it's good to hear sorcerer getting a little bit of love oh um, yeah especially with the expanded spell list too yeah um what's your uh favorite D race that one's a bit of a tricky question because I know how you're going to react to it. Um, it's not gnomes, is it? It may or may not be gnomes. Oh, um, right. Now yeah, I will say over. it is it is rock gnome, not forest gnome. Um, I'll take a Swerf Nublin in there somewhere, but uh, the sense of whimsy along with uh, you know just getting every ounce of fun out of life that they can. Uh, it it just resonates with me in a special way, and I just it's a blast. I have since Dan is no longer on the podcast. I'll never admit this again. I have no problem with gnomes whatsoever. Harry <laughs> goes off at Dan about gnomes, and I just love to pile on and make Dan feel bad. Um, also, um, Peps is just too perky an individual already to add gnome on top of that. Would mm. it might end the universe? So I have to be staunchly anti-gnome publicly. Um, but I I have no problem with them. As a matter of fact, they're some of my favorite NPCs to create, um, especially because I find a lot of players don't know what to expect with a gnome mm-hmm. um, in ways that they do know what to expect with a halfling. Yeah. Right. They they're they peg you as a hobbit and they kind of figure it out. Or you're just a small human that we call a halfling. Yep. When it comes to gnomes, though, there's a bit of a fey bend to it, and so the, it keeps people guessing a bit. Mm. Now, you said you're you have played a bunch of characters. Do you have like short lived encounters, or are you <clears throat> just do you just play dumb characters that are always in the way of the fireball? I I wish I could say it was because of the fireball situation, but um, no, I have I have yet to see a character death um, of my own, at least. Um, however. When I got started off, uh, my DM, uh, it was his first time DMing, and we decided to go with an evil campaign. And it went on for a a few months, but after a while, you know, more and more people wanted to get in, more and more people thought it was a cool idea. And eventually it turned into uh, us resetting the campaign. Things things got out of hand, and we kind of accidentally made the Infinity Stones. Uh, I, I won't get too far into it other than, like, finding a way to take a diamond and insert it into one of the ley lines of the weave mm. and extracting raw power from the school's magic. It was It was cool, but it derailed the campaign so much that we needed to press the reset button. Yeah. So we did that. Then, oh, I take it back. I have had one. No, he didn't die. I take it back after taking it back. Um, my DM got very excited with trying to do mass combat once we reset the uh, the campaign. These are all and... pitfalls. These are all pitfalls that people fall into early in the DM career. Yeah, campaign. Let's give you guys ultimate power. Oh, let's. Yep. 
We had a yeah, TPK because we were fighting over a thousand zombies in a confined area. It yeah. was rough. That extra economy will get you every time. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, so lots of resets more than anything. Um, the most recent one, we swapped from a nautical campaign to a spell jammer campaign. So not too far of a jump. But... Yeah, that's, that's fair enough. Yeah. Um, have you played any of the modules, any of the adventure pads? No, I've never even come close to playing one of them. Everyone likes their homebrew. Fair enough. Um, so are you DMing right now or are you playing? Uh, both. I'm DMing uh, a game every other week, and I'm playing a game the day before I DM every other week. <laughs> that, so, so you don't have weekends every other week? Uh, yeah, every other week I'm just chock full of D&D, &D and I'm, I'm all right with it. I won't lie. Yeah, no, fair enough. Um, so, and is it online or in person? Uh, in person only. Uh, we've we did online at the beginning because it was pandemic. Of course. Yeah. Uh, but the second we were, uh, you know, gates opened and hey, you can go hang out with people. Um, it was in person, and um, everyone kind of agreed at that point that unless there's a situation that forces us into online, in person only. So. Do you did you know everybody? ahead of time like have you met people through D, D yet the only people i didn't know was the uh dm that i've spoken on and then uh one of the players that was in that evil campaign so i, I only didn't know two people one of which was my brother's connection for for getting into D D and starting the game yeah uh the dm himself uh I had no idea who he was, what he was about, or anything like that. All I knew he was that uh, he was a theater kid and he knew how to play D and D. And since Both then, DMs are let let me be honest. Fair enough. Since then, he's become one of my best friends. So right on. All right, so we're gonna focus on you DMing, okay? Right, and and the campaign that you're DMing, and we're, I want to get into it in a little bit. But first, let's talk about the subject, which is granting players wishes. So, um, which is not to say through the wish spell, but I'm assuming that this is something that happens midweek, um, after or before a session when a player comes to you and says, Hey, it'd be really cool if my player could do blank, whatever, fill in the blank there. Right. Or I would really like to have this item, or this would be a really fun spell for me to cast, but it's not on my spell list. Shit like that. I currently have a player right now who said, what does it take to make spells? You know how we've got... Morden Kanan's Faithful Hound, and we've got Melf's Acid Arrow, and like, how can I get my name on, front, on the front of a spell? What can I do? So we have been workshopping spells and making sure that it's, you know, appropriately balanced for spell slots and shit. But like, people come to you with crazy ideas. I'm DMing seven people, and one of them, uh, their class operates, it's a companion class. So there's eight people in my party. Wow. Yeah, okay. it's it's not the easiest of tasks, but at the same time, you know, it means I get to throw bigger stuff at them early. Uh, they are level seven and they just fought a Neotholid, which is a CR 13. Yeah. Wiped the floor with it. Good. Like that's that means that they're they're operating outside of their weight class by a damn sight, too. Like, oh, even yeah. though there's a lot of them, mm -hmm. that's impressive. So um, so let's talk really quickly about the idea of players requests in the first place um and one of the reasons i've got i've got a list i've shown you the the breakdown right um yeah of what all I've the different things that that i could talk about with this but one of the first things 
to really focus on is the reason why. Why do we bother to grant these wishes? Because the rules exist for a reason. And every request that shows up is something outside of the module, outside of the rule set, outside of you know common sense when it comes to D&D. Um, and there are a number of reasons for that. Uh, and the first one is that people just want to have fun. And I have no problem handing out gifts because it makes people have fun. Um, sometimes they are uh, curses that are fun. It all depends on your players. Like at one point I gave Casey's character metallic bones. It made her um, very skinny black dragonborn uh, suddenly 500 pounds. And she had disadvantage on swimming and climbing. And she absolutely loved it because she was able to walk in and leave like footprints in stone. Right. So uh, there were ways to get rid of that. And the, and that's not like she, she just kept it. She just loved it. Um, so when it comes to fun, like, why would you why would you not say yes? Um, I, I have reasons why and we'll get into those much later. But um, another way, another reason that I give out um, gifts and rewards and uh, and grant requests is to engage the players. I've got some players uh, like Dave. Dave is not a role player by any means. He is there to mechanically beat D&D like it is chess. Mm -hmm. And if it's not active combat on a grid, he will sit back and watch and listen. And he is engaged, but he's not involved by any means. So yeah. giving him the ability to do things like uh, he's playing a, a fairy scout right now. Um, they just discovered that there's a part of their city which is absolutely infested with sprites and pixies. And he's the only one that that A, speaks the language, and B, is small enough to get in and talk to them. And so he's become a bit of an emissary to go in and talk to, there's a treant underneath that runs the whole thing and secretly runs every plant in the city. And only Dave's character knows this. That really appealed to him that he gets to go in and do that. But man, that took a while of him not biting on other plot hooks for a couple of months before he finally jumped on that. Um, and he just said that he wanted to explore the idea of being fey, whatever the fuck that means. So that, that could mean anything from here to the moon. Good oh Lord. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, you have got to outthink your players. Sometimes you're playing 3d chess with their psyche in ways that they don't even know you're doing. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, another reason why we fulfill, um, a request like this is for rebalancing. Um, sometimes a player will come to you and say, hey, I feel weak. I'm not getting everything out of it. Everybody else is doing 30 plus damage around and I'm doing eight, right? Um, and I don't I don't mind handing out gifts for that or, or rewards or, or fulfilling requests, right? If mm -hmm. you feel like you are being ineffective and you're never getting the spotlight in the way that you would like, yeah, let's, let's do it your way. Because again, the first one is have fun, right? Yeah. And, uh, and the other reason why I like to give gifts and rewards and fulfill players uh request is uh for holidays i am big on handing out presents in game and in person to my players uh every time that christmas comes around also any time that we land on a holiday i give a holiday themed uh inspiration die that they can use every session for example mm -hmm. one time it landed on uh, saint patrick's day they all got a green d4 for a four-leaf clover in real world, they each found a four-leaf clover, so they would roll this once per session, and it would grant them, quote-unquote, luck. How much luck, they didn't know. Um, and I, I've done that a number of times. They found, um, there was a genie's wish that happened for one. I want to say that one was, I can't remember why it was Labor Day, but I want to say it was Labor Day. Um, Interesting. Yeah, so so there are, there have been a number, oh, there's it was, um, they freed slaves. 
So that's so they got. So so it definitely wasn't an Afridi. No, it was a, it was a gin. So they'll get a blue D four to use, right? Um, and so this stuff will stack up, and it allows me to throw harder and harder monsters at them too, right? Because yeah. they have the ability to add on to rolls and things. And so these are why I like to give out not necessarily just requests, but gifts. Mm-hmm. But there are lots of different kinds of gifts to give out. Um, and I want to go through them really quickly so that we have a basic concept. Because at the end of this episode, for the last portion of it, we're going to get into total spoiler territory for all of your players about kind of what they want, what you think they want out of the campaign, what requests they might have made. And you and I are going to try to workshop a little bit to give them that shit. So if you are listening to this and you're in Travis's campaign, you need to fucking not. So there well, will come a point where we will hit the eject button and you need to turn it off. Yep. Yeah, and I've told all of them, you know, you're more than welcome to listen to the episode. However, when I tell you to, turn it off because like no one likes spoilers unless you're you know uh there's a word for it that's skipping my head oh. um they're bad people bastards is yeah yeah for. yeah so, little um, shitheads dan is like that by the way like he says spoil it for me i want to know what i need to be excited about and i'm like that is bizarre but his point of view is if i get on an airplane and i don't know where i'm going that gives me anxiety if i know i'm going to disneyland i'm excited for the whole journey I I can get that when it comes to stuff like episodes of TV or movies or even D&D plot points. I just I I hate having that spoiler because then my brain starts racking about, ooh, okay, how did we get there? Where do we go from here? You know, the DM side of me starts kicking in. And then when it happens the way that it's meant to, sometimes I get frustrated because, well, I thought my way was better. So I'm also really, really good at reading the language of the medium pretty well. So like, for example, um, I know if we are on the second last episode of a season of a cable network television show and we are hitting the last five minutes of the episode, something bad is about to happen. And if they're showing us everything is fine, that means that we're going to end on a cliffhanger where someone gets shot in the face. Right. Mm. And like, that's just the language of network TV. And I'm starting to figure out how Netflix and streaming services work. I've figured out, you know, a lot for when you know that there are going to be four books in a series, you know, you're not going to get a proper resolution at the end of book two. Book one mm-hmm. will have a pseudo resolution, but yeah. book two won't, right? And it's the hook to keep going. And so, like, I start to learn the the dialect and the language of the medium itself. And mm. so when I hear something like, oh, yeah, well, they're not in every episode, but they become a big thing later on. Fuck. Well, that just now I know. Right. Like, yeah. I know that this character is going to I'm never going to sweat them being in danger. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I'm I'm very anti spoiler. Uh, we totally went off on a tangent and that's perfectly fine. Yeah, it happens. Um, <laughs> uh, well, let's get into two gifts for now. The different kinds of gifts. And the first one that I want to talk about is we have to separate between the idea of handing out objects in game and handing out um, kind of general re- rewards. And objects in game are things that a, that a character has or holds or adds to the character sheet as an item that can be stolen, taken away, or destroyed. Um, then there are other things that are... Uh, the example I always use is... Uh, getting a title to a a manor like you are now a baron you have been given lands and titles and uh and it may never come up you just may be and i am lord of this keep over here and like that's 
great mechanically it has very little to do with the the story um it's just something that makes your character feel good makes a player feel good um who knows it might be important but it's just little boons and bonuses i do this a lot of the time with relationships there are two kinds of relationships in my D campaigns there's the kind that casey is currently doing which is um quote unquote an understanding with a hot tiefling that's often in the bar so that is is he here I don't know, roll dice. She rolls perception, and then depending on how well she rolled, yes, he's here. She said, all right, we're going to fade to black, and then off she goes, and, and we all whistle and clap, and then she turns red, and we all laugh. <laughs> or there's Mieka's version, which is um, I'm going to slowly role play out the the flirting. I'm going to roll for, for performance for when I'm dancing in the bar and see if I can get his attention, and then just like very slowly builds an attraction over time. And then that's a that's a far more um, emotionally rewarding payoff as well for that kind of a gift. And sometimes you roll poorly and they're disinterested or somebody else walked by or and like there's reactions at the table for that shit. Um, but these are the kinds of of non object requests, rewards, gifts that I get into. I have some people at my table who are not interested in romance. Dan was a bit of a whoremonger in the last campaign um, and has told me this time, my guy is going to be essentially celibate, not because he doesn't like sex, but because they're just more important things to him. And I'm like, dude, fair enough. I'm not going to not gonna dangle that in front of your face to be like, hey, look, here's a flirty moment over here, right? We'll, we'll do something else. So um, a lot of the times when it comes to objects that we hand out, there's a mechanical aspect to them. And most of the time, that has something to do with combat. It can often be related to exploration. A lot of times it's like stealthy this or speed or you can fly for a short period of time or hover or yeah, even some feather kind of fall, activation. Right? Like the feather tokens from um, from Eberron mm -hmm. means that you don't take damage when you fall a certain height. That's an exploration gift, right? So you're no longer eating away at people's um, resources and their resource management. And that's a big factor. I will hand out gifts all day long, but there's only one use of this. This wand is burnt and broken and can only cast this thing once. The scroll will burn up once you've read it once. And I'll hand out a million. I mean, it's just to cure wounds. Everybody in the party can cast that naturally, but here's a scroll of it. So you don't have to burn a spell slot once, right? So The danger is when you have a wizard and he <laughs> copies that. It is dangerous. I fortunately do not have a wizard in my party right now, so... Um, so when I look at combat, I have to think about when I'm handing out either mechanical or flavor items, uh, I look at specifically when it comes to mechanical, will this affect the bounded accuracy? I don't like to hand out plus one items, mm -hmm. um, for exactly the reason of they do not have to roll as high now. They will, every time you give a plus one, there is a 5% better chance that they will do something, you know, mm -hmm. when they might not have done it before. Yeah. And while, sorry, go ahead. Um, I've I've got a player uh, who is very much so. He likes his plus ones, plus twos. He likes that math side of it. Um, so for for him, he's pretty much the only player at the table that I probably will end up giving plus ones and twos out to, uh, just because he's the only one at my table who likes that stuff. He's not so much into the flavor side of it. You know, he's he's my version of Dave. Um, and so he he likes that mathematical side of the combat. So he's he's the one where I look at and he go uh, and I think 
he would enjoy this plus one longsword so much more. However, this guy over here, if I give him a title of Duke, he's going to flip his lid. But the problem then is that you have one player that is more effective in combat 5% more often than the others, right? Mm -hmm. And so there's a sneaky way to mitigate that that I remember from previous editions, which not really show up in 5th ed, and that is conditional plus ones and plus twos. Plus one against goblinoids. Plus two slashing against plants, right? So oh, it does... Good. It does plus one cold damage to fire elementals, right? And oh. so I can now hand out that kind of shit a hundred times and it will never add up to a plus one item of everything, right? So so yeah. that way you can just hit it over and over and over and over again. And we get that with a lot of the defensive items, but not a lot of the offensive, where it's like, this gives you resistance to poison specifically. Or we have the magic item, the weapon that does poison damage but not necessarily poison damage under specific circumstances right and so yeah that kind of shit i love to deal with um because it has especially i'm assuming this player if they're mechanically inclined they're playing a martial character of some sort if he, if he hears the podcast i hope he doesn't kill me but i th i think his his character is a bit strange um, he's doing a monk ranger multi-class. Um, he's going hunter ranger with uh, Kensei monk. It's not it's not a bad matchup. It's an interesting one though. That's really cool. A ranger with speed like that and a ranger that can deflect arrows and things. Yeah, right. That's that's got very circumstantial, very powerful things. He was telling me he was going for a um, Trevor Belmont build. Um, I've never seen Castlevania, um, no. but he he was telling me that's what he's going for. And I said, you know, if you give me bullet points of how you're wanting this character to progress and all that, I I'm in your corner. But absolutely he is our resident half caster he absolutely loves his half casters i don't think he's played a full marshal or full uh caster but you see this is even more opportunity because a monk ranger is clearly focused at least a little bit in, in character creation on the exploration pillar mm -hmm. and so you can do a lot of things like um being able to uh, there's an elven item that you have, uh, which gives you special grip on the bottom of your shoes. So you don't have, uh, you move at regular speed, but only while climbing trees. As long as they are living wood, you can climb it at regular speed, right? But the moment that wood has been cut down, the enchantment doesn't work, right? So, so like, this is the kind of shit that I will throw out to my party on a regular basis. It's circumstantial, and I've learned that most of my party will not look at their character sheet and their item list and remember that they could do this until after the fact. And the mm -hmm. number of times that I have been walking out of Dan's house because we play at his place, and we're walking through the garage at the end of the night and everyone else has gone home, and Mieka's standing at the car being like, Adam, hurry the fuck up. And I'm sitting there with my heavy-ass D&D bag, and Dan goes, wait, oh my god, I had a wand. And I'm like, you had a wand? But I can't tell you that. So there you are. Um, so when it comes to bounded accuracy, there are ways to do little half steps and half measures that still feel really, really good, especially if there's a narrative reason for it, right? Um, having someone from the unseelie court give you a weapon against fey creatures that are good aligned feels really interesting. That is a dirty item that you do want to hold on to just in case, right? Oh, so. Yeah. Um, I, I definitely uh, teased my players a little bit with um, 
I think it was the first combat of the no second combat of the campaign. Um, they killed a hobgoblin captain because um, my whole campaign and, you know, we'll get into this later, but it's um, it, when it comes down to it, the BBEGs are going to be your uh, hobgoblin host or rather the goblinoid host and mind flayers. So very int focused campaign. Yep. Um, but within the second combat, they took down a uh, hobgoblin captain and they looted his corpse as all D&D players love to do. And um, they found a shield of missile attraction. Um, however, you had to be a goblinoid to attune to it. So they were a little bummed about that. Yeah, I like, and it's that kind of stuff that I really, really, really like. And if they take it, in 25 sessions from now, you will get an item that allows you to read as far as detect evil and good or one of these scrying spells you will read as a goblinoid. And now you can attune to the shield, right? Mm -hmm. But like I let that I let that really get some distance to see whether or not it'll get payoff. Um no. and so I have little notes like that all the time, which I don't really remember why I do it anymore. I look down at it and like for some reason I'm handing out a red feather. All right. And there is a red feather, and then one of the players might have their eyes light up and go, I have a blue feather and a yellow feather, and now I can complete the headdress of art. Oh, okay, that's why I did it. Fuck, right, mm -hmm. okay. So um, the next thing I, I focus on is action economy. I don't fuck with the action economy. There are a lot of things that you can hand out as far as rewards go. Not necessarily objects, but people, pets, familiars, sidekicks, um, NPCs or I, I will straight up never play a DM NPC. I just don't do it. If I give a sidekick or anything else, um, a lot of the times I will have veto, like, no, they wouldn't do that. Or he will turn to you and say, really? And then do it anyway. But for the most part, I let the players control the, their sidekicks. Um, but I don't want to imbalance the action economy too much. I do, however, have players like Mieka, who's going back and forth between Canada and the States uh, until our wedding next year. I've got Dave, who disappears for about five months out of the year. I've got Charlie, who works nights and is just unavailable sometimes. So if I have to rebalance an encounter every single week, like something that I've planned in advance, I it's too exhausting. Bring in the sidekick, right? Mm -hmm. And so they like to sit back in the wings and wait for the opportunity to come forward. But I do like to reward NPCs and sidekicks. And a lot of the times you will, as a player, get the opportunity to interact with this person in unique and interesting ways to get information later. Or maybe they're a merchant and you get a deal on something later. Or they carry weapons so they will guard your cart so you don't have to take the cart into the dungeon, right? Like mm -hmm. there are lots of opportunities to use them to reward without actually changing your action economy as long as you have a logical, sensible reason for them being there. Um, a lot of my um, NPCs do not have combat stats, hard stop. What they do have is the ability to read this language, or they are in control of the bag of holding, mm -hmm. right? Um, or they can, uh, they have the ability to telepathically communicate with someone back in town, right? So, yeah. and this is the kind of uh, reward that I hand out. Thinking outside the box and looking at a character sheet beyond just stats makes a big difference. And not overwhelming the two 
hard rules of fifth ed, bounded accuracy and action economy. Those are the those are the big like those are the big no-nos that I try not to do. Um, the other thing is I gotta be really aware of damage type when I hand out um objects because bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing sucks after tier two when everything is at least resistant to it, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and if I give out bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing items too early, um, if uh that are plus one, they're gonna be able to get past a lot of the resistances that enemies have. So I tend to give out items that do extra damage type instead of being magical items or relying only on bludgeoning, piercing, or slashing. So I've broken it down into categories here for the sake of this conversation. Um, fire, poison, cold, and lightning. There are so many resistances and immunities out there that I have no problem handing out weapons that do this, but this is also the most common type of damage that's done to players, so I tend not to hand out items that, uh, that are like armor that are going to help buff against these things gotcha. i want the players to feel the fire damage but i don't necessarily want the enemies to but a sword that does lightning damage feels so fucking good right oh and just the flavor alone of that you know they're going yeah i've got my sword and it's crackling in their hands yeah they're, they're just gonna love the the description alone but then when it comes to the mechanics of it there's going to be a lot of things that just straight up get healed by lightning sometimes, right? Like, mm. that's going to blow up in their faces sometimes, and sometimes the item I give out feels really good, but that's a trap for three, eight sessions from now. So the next group is Acid, Necrotic, and Psychic. There are a lot of creatures that um, are immune to this shit. There's a lot of, of creatures that do necrotic damage, um, but not as many as you'd think for Acid and Psychic, especially in the later modules. And some of the expansion books and whatnot beyond your basic, I guess it's just Morgan Kanan's Monsters of the Multiverse now. Yeah, the, the but, Doctor Strange one. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> like, there are a lot of opportunities here to hand out items that are going to be fairly useful um, and not necessarily useless when it comes to, like, like a helm that is able to uh, get in the way of psychic damage, to reduce psychic damage somehow. Uh, it's easy for me to hand that out. There are a lot of monsters, a surprising number that do psychic damage, but it's not its not so much that it's debilitating if it's resistance to. I just wouldn't make it immune to, you know what I mean? So, yeah. Oh, and handing that's out immunities is Yeah. Terrifying. That's going to come out at later levels as well, by the time that we see some of that psychic damage. And at that point, my guys have so many freaking hit points anyway, that the 2d8 psychic damage doesn't really matter. Um, because I'm getting off the big fuck you spells anyway, right? So yeah. Um, and then there's force, radiant, and thunder. I never hand this out. I will hand out items that are resistant to it because it will never come up. Um, but I will you, never you ever... handle out the, Sorry? The, the you won't hand hand out the uh the damaging types of it. Right. And it's not that it's it's prevalent because the there's not a whole lot out there that is resistance to force damage or radiant damage or thunder damage mm -hmm. but when they are it is so flavorful you should not be able to get past it right um so this is unless you are in tier four with the cleric uh, yeah i'll give your hammer the ability to do radiant damage right um if you are a storm sorcerer yeah i'll let you boost your thunder a little bit in tier three right? That's just the flavor you're going for. That's fine. But when something is able to just absorb that damage or, you know, is resistant to it, and then you're just doing a whopping amount of it anyway, it, from a flavor standpoint, I don't like it. It doesn't jive quite well. Um, yeah. And then we've got the other ones, which are 
strange materials like silver for lycanthropes. There should really be rules about silver and cold iron and specific kinds of metals. Mithril should be a thing that we're focused on in 5th ed, right? You should have the trident made of this specific coral is going to work better against creatures with the amphibious or are that can breathe underwater, right? Like whatever it is, we should have more items like this. And I hand that shit out all the time. Cold iron against incorporeal undead. My players yep. love that shit. Right? Uh, I, I fully agree with it. Um, in one of the games uh, that I was a player in, uh, my DM he brought in vampires, but more along the lines of Witcher vampires. Um, and he gave us all wrought iron weapons. Nice. And giving us that because we didn't have the magic items, you know, to overcome the resistances, giving us those, uh, not only did it, did it uh, create a sense of depravity, you know, where we're going... I, I left my weapon at the inn. I, we have to go back, otherwise I'm useless. Um, but it really, really created a cool cinematic for us when it came time to, you know, really bear down and fight them. So here, let me give you a heads up really quickly on something that I've used for, for great effect when it comes to vampires. Mm -hmm. So do you know why vampire um, vampires can't see the reflections? Um, I do. It's because yeah. uh, mirrors used to be made with silver. That's right. So... A lot of the time, what I like to do is I like to have uh, vampires have their reflection when they, before we figured out they're a vampire, I will point out their reflection is being, a, you can see it in the glass, you can see it in the steel armor of the paladin, you can see their reflection. And then they have to go hunting for steel back mirrors, right, yeah. later on to figure out who, who the vampire is. And it's a really sneaky and really shitty thing to do. Um, and I like it quite a bit. Another one that I will have is I will establish early that vampires can't cross water, but it's mm -hmm. specifically running water. So yeah. when they are like swimming through the lake, the players will be like, oh, must not be a vampire. Well, here we are. So, yeah. and and I will have a vampire swim instead of fly over the lake specifically to fuck with, with the party members. So, um, so that's most of my my insights on combat. When it comes to role playing, there are really only two kinds of of rewards that we can hand out or requests that we can honor, and it is mechanical and flavor, obviously. But what I'm talking about here is the ongoing opportunity of things versus milestones. What I mean by this is I will hand out a milestone where you have befriended the shopkeep, you get 5% off whenever you come here. Great. That is a milestone. It doesn't keep upping over time, whereas a romance slowly grows. Mm -hmm. I stop and I think about this because if if it's a request that a player's made that, hey, I would really like to tame this dragon, Wormling. Great. That is not a milestone. Like suddenly it is tamed. You rolled animal handling well once and that's <laughs> it. No, no, you will be working on this for the next six levels and then it will save your life once, right? Like it is a consistent amount of um, energy that has to be put into this storytelling beat. And you've got to think about that request is all well and good. Like, I, I really don't want my parents to be threatened. My parents from my backstory, I don't want them to be threatened. Is that okay? And you'd be like, sure, that's a ongoing opportunity yes they are now safe the king is looking out for them you have done the thing and the king has guaranteed them protection mm -hmm. there we go it lasts forever instead of just saying yes they're safe today and then in the next session but tomorrow <laughs> yeah. right like that's not a reward you've just 
You didn't grant the request. You just delayed to the shit, right? Mm -hmm. So um, exploration is a little bit different because there are some opportunities to hand out items and rewards which are not as good as they seem. The first one is anything that affects movement because now you are splitting the party. It may feel really good to be able to suddenly fly or to have 60 foot movement speed. Or And I nail my rogues to the wall with this every three sessions. Yeah, you can uh, you move as part of your action and then dash and then you can use your bonus action to dash again and you now have gone 90 feet. Everyone else went 30 and used their ranged weapons and you are now the only fucking target on the battlefield, right? Yeah. Uh, and so the ability to squeeze through narrow spaces, this is the plasmoid that can get through the one-inch spaces now, mm -hmm. right? That's great. Nobody else can, and you are now in the room with the bad guys, right? Yeah. This is this is going to blow up in their faces, and you may not plan it to, but it will. Um, this is not a request that is necessarily going to be a major positive by the end of, of the campaign. Um, but if they ask for it, give it to them. You just have to be aware as a DM that this person will become endangered a disproportionate amount of time moving forward. Yeah. If I'm going to hand out extra movement to this to this person and the character does not learn their lesson within a few sessions, they're probably going to get something that's going to boost their AC or going to let them misty step once per long rest or something to get the fuck back out, right? So Yeah, absolutely. Um, also, there's a lot of stuff that likes to remove the the need for stealth rolls or the disadvantage on stealth rolls or they, they like boost up stealth in a big way. So many encounters start based on one side recognizing the other. If your players are consistently ambushing the bad guys, that is going to be one note and they're not going to have fun. They think they're winning, but it's not engaging. It's not fun. I don't give out stealth-related rewards. Even when they ask for it, I will give them the ability to do something in a very limited fashion. Um, for example, your you are able to shroud yourself in darkness to not be picked up by visual perception checks, right? Yeah. Um, but only at night and when there's not a full moon. And like it's yeah. so conditional that they still have the ability to do something and it'll pay off a few times, but it's not really going to change the entire narrative of the story moving forward. Um, yeah, I, I almost handed out a, um, oh gosh, I called it glass steel. I was working with um, some stuff that I found on the internet. Um, I'm familiar and, with glass steel. I yeah. think that it is, I'm trying to remember what IP it's from. There was in Star Wars, the expanding universe, they had plastisteel. Yeah. And like, anyways, I've seen shit like yeah. this before. I really yeah. like it. It's neat. It, it it was fun to work with, especially, you know, working with, you know, kind of being see-through and all that. But um, I had Dwarven Master Crafters as the only people who knew how to mold this steel well enough. Um, and I I told them, yeah, you can absolutely buy armor. Uh, the, the Dwarven Smiths said that they do not make uh, weapons from it. It's too... Uh, the way that it the way that it has to be formed it can't be made into weapons it would shatter immediately instead it can be made into armor however it is only plate mail it removes the disadvantage on stealth checks but it costs 10 times the amount as a normal set of plate mail so so glass steel i just googled it it's also yeah. from star wars and 
it's actually now a brand name of a specific kind of uh, metal that people are using that is uh, is like lightweight and but still kind of brittle. Like, so it's a gotcha. real product now as well, but not nearly as cool. No. <laughs> um, when uh, when it comes to the other side of it, uh, sure, perception is a major factor of the exploration pillar. Scrying is another one, and I am loath to give out that level of di divination magic uh, to players. They may take the spell and they may use it, but fine, they're burning their resources. I'm not giving them extra resources to use towards this shit. Um, I will give them an NPC that doesn't quite like them or requires expensive payment or odd payment or is only able to do it once every three months when there's a hunter's moon. Mm -hmm. shit like that right or the on the longest day of any given season they will be able to do it. so that kind of nonsense um then they'll i will allow them to scry and it will be very limited and it's often done in metaphor because I, it needs to be something that they explore further from instead of here's a crystal ball yeah right crystal so. balls i could never hand out um my sorcerer that uh that i have in my party he got a scroll of scrying um he's since talked to me about you know potentially seeing if he could learn the magic of it and you know try to get the spell on his list and i'm going it's more of a wizard thing but i mean we'll see as of right now it's just a single use and he's been debating using it for a while uh we just recently had a red dragon uh fight and he was tempted to use it to find out if the red dragon was in his lair or if he had left it so that they could deal with the cultists. Um, he opted to not use it. And instead, he's going to be using it for one of the um, Hobgoblin BBEGs down the road. So one of the things that I did in my last campaign when it came to scrying was I had hags be a big deal. And so scrying had to be a big deal. Um, I also had some major liches and some powerful dragons and like there was a lot of high-powered shit going on and mm -hmm. so the players needed to keep tabs on shit but the way that they did that was through a series of crystal balls and divination doesn't work the same way because uh in my world um we have to have rules anytime someone takes a divination spell where they can see somewhere else or another time or whatnot there's a high chance of failure and also danger um, so one of the things that I gave out were a number of crystal balls. Each one of them is a different color, like the colors of the rainbow. And the idea is you close your eyes and you astral project through this as if it is a window. And you find yourself in a small stone room where there are seven colored windows, each one representing one of the balls. And you can see out and hear out of each window if you press your face against it. But anybody else that is next to it will be able to see your face appear in the ball. This became super fucking dangerous. They started smashing some of the balls so that um, people couldn't use them anymore. At one point, there was a great old one that got their hands on it as one of the NPCs was using the crystal ball to scry. And suddenly the uh, NPCs uh, in every orifice on their body exploded with tentacles and ripped them apart from the inside until they were nothing but a hollow skin suit and it sucked up all of their meat and uh, they were terrified of using that crystal ball again, right? Like, That's fair. I, I, you can scry, but fuck is it dangerous, right? Mm -hmm. So um, at one point, actually, Dan's character tried scrying and pissed off the hags and ended up going through one of the broken windows and ended up floating in a starscape with no way out. 
and it took the rest of the party to go make a deal with the hag and then astral project into the cosmos to pull his consciousness back. So, Good Lord. So um, I don't like scrying nonsense. Speaking of nonsense, there's the opportunity to hand out rewards and stuff um, and comedic bits, uh, nonsense bits, funny jokes. I like doing this to a point, but it really depends on your players. It depends on how much it's going to pull focus. It depends on whether or not this is the correct campaign for it. If you're in the Feywild, yeah, I'm going to give you tons of nonsense. If you are in, if you're doing the Dragonlance campaign setting or you are at war, I'm probably not going to give you the bag of infinite farts, right? Like there's sometimes like you have to read the room a little bit. I spoke about NPCs and pets. You really do. It's it's watching the the action economy more than anything else. And also the fact that it feels good for a little while, but most people will give up on their pet pretty quickly. Yeah, and until you start threatening them. Once yeah. you threaten the pet, they're, oh, I've loved this guy since day one. It's like, you've, you've forgotten his name. Yeah, <laughs> you've not interacted with your pet mouse, Druid, yeah. in the last, like, 25 sessions, right? Yeah, so. You took Urchin for the pet rat. Like, what are you yeah. doing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So ideally or ultimately rather you have to keep your eye on resource management and balance more than anything else and then otherwise have fun right like go balls to the wall but there are some ways there are some times where you don't want to give them what they're asking for so um my thought process is when should you not give out rewards is if you're a new dm learn the system first the same like don't homebrew right off the bat Learn the system before you break it. Otherwise, you're going to break it in ways that you have no idea what you're doing and it's going to fizzle and fall apart and people will get their feelings hurt and you, your story is going to get just utterly demolished by one quick conversation. I gave Terry uh, a an object that immediately allowed him to convince anybody that he was telling the truth and I forgot to write in the role or the DC. So it was an automatic, this just works. And he called me on it. He used it. I was attacking the city they were in. I had uh, three to six sessions lined up where their city was uh, mostly tunnels and underground. There was an army of giants coming who couldn't get underground or were going to demolish the city above. And it was up to the players to be essentially resistant fighters in like a -a whack-a-mole scenario, right? Mm. Terry walked up to the king and said, hey, you want to go deep into the desert and never come back out. And so the entire army of giants just turned around and walked away. Oh, man. So uh, it is important when you are a new DM to understand the game itself and the criteria involved. It's not enough to just say, yeah, sure, you can get this this wand. It lets you cast magic missile. How often? When does it recharge, right? Mm-hmm. Can you upcast with it, right? So there are... There are other things to think about that you have not seen the habits and the design of it yet. Uh, also, don't do it if the player is just trying to become the main character of the story. If they're trying to outshine the others, it's not an appropriate time to hand out a reward unless you're handing out rewards to everyone. Yeah, Balance is key. Um, also, don't do it for a meta reason. I go out of my way to make sure that Mieka does not get special treatment. Um, do not reward your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your significant other of any kind i started <laughs> i started in a campaign with charlie and dave uh as players with uh, another dm who was also dating um the the fourth player and so it was me and charlie 
and Dave and this girl. And she had never played D&D before. And we showed up with level three characters and she was level six and had all of these special magic items and was resistant to bludgeoning damage and immune to slashing. And I turned to my friend and I'm like, hey, what is this shit? How come this is happening? Why don't we get these bonuses? And he looked at me and shrugged and said, I don't know, man, nepotism. <laughs> we never went back. That was it. I, that was the I end mean, of the game. He didn't I, realize it because we played the rest of the session, but that was the end of the session. That was yeah. the end of the campaign. I, I uh, mean, at least he was straightforward with you. <laughs> he was being tongue in cheek and thought he was being funny, but it pissed me off enough to be like, no, man, I put I put some time and effort and thought into building this character and like, yeah. fuck it. No, we're done. So um, also, I if you're rewarding a player because they're about to quit for whatever reason, or you're trying to convince them to stay or to join a party, so here's all this special shit. Don't bother. They're not here for the right reasons. Don't do it. Yeah. Just let them go. I have had great success playing in one-on-one campaigns with Mieka or doing midweek stuff one-on-one with Dan and Charlie. Like I, you can still get your D and D fix. There are online groups that you can join. You don't need to make one person the D and D Jesus and everyone else feel like the disciples. Yeah. Um, don't do it if the person is a known manipulator. I tend not to make requests because I am a known manipulator at tables. If I say, hey, can I get some alchemist fire? Or is there anyone here that sells alchemist fire in town? Your answer should always be no. Yeah, I've I've definitely got some players similar to that. Um, the biggest thing I work with is why be be straight up with me why are you looking for it you know maybe i can work with you if it's not too out of the out of the park insane but otherwise i i'm one of those guys that is going to look at the ball bearings and the um the black powder and the child's toy their doll and say i've just made a trap and i'm going to use this sometime in the future i'm going to (laughs) i'm going to take a candle because candles are everywhere Pull the wick out of it, and I have just made a bomb, a shrapnel bomb. This is yeah. this is a nasty way of playing, um, and I'm going to ask ten sessions before this ever comes up. Uh, if I throw a ball bearing at you or use a sling, how much damage does that do? What if I do? What if I do it twice as fast, right? And if I can get my DM to say it does one d8 damage this once, then I will hold on to that shit and I will then make a bomb. That is how I killed Brad and Tyler, by the way. Oh no! So yeah, I turned on the party and and I did it by attaching a doll full of ball bearings and alchemist fire um, to a door, um, and it was a door of bar, like it was a bar door because it was in a dungeon. And so mm-hmm. they pulled the string and or t- when they opened the door and it blew up and fucking murdered them, dropped the entire party's hit points by like 50% and killed two of them all, right? So, yay. Um, also, be aware, if you don't know if they're a manipulator or not, if they have a lot of experience, but they're new to your table, learn mm-hmm. your players first. Yeah. And you can't do that very easily through online play. Um, so... Go slow, watch for the signs, use your common sense, and give them yes ands and no buts ahead of time. And we're going to talk about this now um, mm. because yes ands and no buts are are really, really important tools for a DM to use to find a compromise. Um, when someone says, hey, can I jump on the chandelier and, you know, surf down the banister and then, you know, cut three of the goblins' heads off to start combat? Man, yes, and you only have to roll an acrobatics check for mm-hmm. it, right? 
Um, this is a fantasy game. I'm going to embrace the fantasy. It's going to be badass. This didn't fuck up my encounter. They decapitated three goblins. And as soon as they land, the other goblins scream out loud and six more goblins run into the building. Right? Like, I have no problem doing this. Let's be awesome. You yeah. guys are the destined heroes. You don't see the bartender getting levels in anything. You guys showed up to be the main characters to so do it. Um, remember that there's a level 14 glass ceiling in um in DD. Most of the adventures don't go above it for a reason. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of shit, especially high-level spells and stuff that are above that level. So when you start to hand out um spells and whatnot, be aware of the fact that what I like to say is yes, you can have access to finger of death at level eight, and so can my bad guys, right. This yes and will keep the balance um, because it's important to be fair and it's important to be consistent. Um, also, I have no problem handing out items if uh, I know that there are attunement slots and item lists are absolutely bursting at the seams. Um, and, you know, I like giving dilemmas like that. And I also, if I give it to you, I can take it away later. Um, yep. And that's honestly some of the conversations that I have with them as well, right? Like the moment this becomes not fun, it's going to go away for a narrative purpose. And yeah. maybe you just hang the sword up above your fireplace and say, I'm retiring you. You've done a good job. Yeah. Messing with attunement slots is easily one of my favorite things to do. Um, you know, presenting them with, you know, okay, you've got this ring of fire resistance and you've got this super fun weapon and, you know, this armor. And then you've also got these other two items that you're looking for, but you can only have three. You know, super, super fun. My favorite thing to do is um, to use hags and fey to remove attunement slots. You now only have two. Interesting. That is a hag curse. Or if you're trading with the fey, the only thing that they want from you is the ability to attune to an item. Hmm. It will give you all of the gold behind them, but they want one of your attunement slots. See now that's super fun. I've got I've got an idea for that that <laughs> that I that I might take. Um besides yes and there's also no but. Um and this is when somebody makes a request and you just say no, I we can't do that. No, but let's do something else instead. And you should always be replacing, I mean not always. If they're a manipulator, they're being a dick or whatever. Mm-hmm. The answer is just straight no sometimes. But um, if they want a plus one bow, no, I can't give you that. But I want to know why you want it. You want to do more damage or do you want to hit more often? I might give you more interesting arrows or ammo. I might give you the uh, ability to shoot further so that you're not imposed with disadvantage on your short bow as often, right? Like there may be other things as well that I'm going to do instead. So it's important to understand not necessarily just what they want, but why they want it. And then you need to wait because once you've said no, that no has got to stick. If you say no, but, and immediately give them something else, you have now set a precedence, right? That they are going to come back over and over again with requests. Um, So I wait, I'll wait a session or two, and then I will turn to them and say, hey, I've been thinking about that request. It was for narrative purposes and for balance purposes, an unreasonable request, but generally speaking, it wouldn't necessarily be unreasonable. So here's two or three alternatives. Do any of these scratch your itch, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then say, okay, I will do something similar to this. Just keep your eyes out for it. It'll come sometime in the future. Yeah. Um, and if they are going to really, really request something ridiculous like Orcus's wand, 
I mean, look, the answer is straight up no. But I had a level 20 necromancer in the last campaign we ended, and she became a lich at the end. And she has the Necronomicon with access to every single necromancy spell out there, as well as all of the lore on how to create every kind of undead. Mm-hmm. My my player wanted to get her hands on that. That's so powerful. But she knew about it and she wanted it from level 14. She got it at level 20. So I'm big into slow rolling, any crafting or earning or building. They, they want to own a successful nightclub in town great we will slow roll we will get there eventually you don't just hire ogres to be bouncers and and hot tritons to be you know bartenders right so yeah i i totally feel you on that um in my current campaign i've got a um one of my players he's playing the gunslinger class i believe that matt mercer made um and he's loving it right now and i looked at him and i said you're the only gunslinger in my world. I'm not yeah. dealing with guns. I don't want them in my fantasy, but this is something he's been just wanting to do for so long. I was like, cool, we're going to have someone teleport you in from Eberron, bring you, you away from home, You know, take him away, and then you also get to keep these guns, your knowledge of how to create them. You're not allowed to sell blueprints to anyone. If you try that, I'll, I'll kill you. Not yeah. really, but... Um, You know, and I told him, I was like, you can do this, but know that because you're in a world without that technology, you have to bring your knowledge in and apply it. So I had to go onto the internet, learn how gunpowder is made, probably had a couple people tracking my location, but um, (laughs) you're on lists now. Yes. Yeah, no doubt. But I I learned how to make various types of gunpowder. In turn, I gave him actual recipes that he can make in-game. He just has to get the materials for it. Then I said, it takes you this long to make this much. And since then, I mean, he's he's been making enough to keep his guns firing and just enjoying it. And this is what you got to be aware of as well, is how much time in-game and how much material in-game are you using? Mm -hmm. Because the crafting rules in 5th edition are so punishing they're real bullshit so you've got to come up with your own homebrew rules depending on what the request is right and every Mm -hmm. request is different so all the rules have to be different Uh, my big thing is i have i run into problems with herbalism kits and healing kits my fucking players want to build healing potions from the ground up all of Mm -hmm. the time and my response to that is always yeah sure but like don't let it be game breaking or don't let it pull the spotlight because every time we stop for a long rest, well, I'm going to sit down with my herbalism kit and I'm going to sit, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm like, you know what? If you are going to waste four and a half minutes of every session on crafting potions, don't waste my time. What I want you to do instead is I want you to roll percentile dice for success. I want you to roll it 50 times. Mm -hmm. You're going to do it in front of me. I'm going to write it down. And then as you go, all right, I'm going to try now. Did it work? And I'm going to look down at the percentile and say, Nope, not this time. I cross off that number and we'll see what it is. When we get to about 48 times through, we're going to do it again. So I've got a long list. And that way you're consistently trying to craft. And over time, I'm just going to add a plus two or a plus five in the corner of my list as you get more proficient and better at it. And and yeah. I hand out better items to help you with it and stuff. So like this is going to be how we manage this so that this is not a spotlight issue. It's mm-hmm. not a crafting issue. It's just, here's a thing that we're doing on the side, this little side mechanic, right, to see if it works. 
Um, and again, what I've done there, what you did with the um, gunpowder is we went meta and it is okay to be meta. Mm -hmm. And there will be opportunities where you absolutely as a DM need to be. And it is okay to walk back your decision and undo it. And if you do it in world, if you just have the bad guy take the gunpowder and the guns never to be seen again, that's just going to piss off your players. You punish the character for out of world reasons, right? So I don't punish characters for players' mistakes and I don't punish players for characters' mistakes, right? So um, it's okay to be meta. It's okay to take them aside and say, hey, this isn't working for this game. It's okay to change your mind and say, I thought this was a lot of fun but we're running into balance issues now. And it's okay to to say, hey, you know what? There's going to be a big epic moment coming in the next three or four sessions where I can't have you hit level 15 with these guns. We can change it to crossbow shit, but like we have to remove the black powder because it's become a plot point. There will Mm -hmm. be an epic moment, and I'll let you know when it comes by, where you will have the opportunity to sacrifice it in an epic moment that will have a narrative payoff and we're going to work together and we're also going to use the opportunity between now and then to come up with what the alternative the alternative is going to be moving forward right yeah. so hand out rewards and feel free to take risks with players as long as you have that that social agreement ahead of time that if it doesn't work we may take it away and that's okay right yeah that's one of the biggest conversations i've had with my players um i want to say it was at our session zero roughly like a year ago or so oh just over actually um and it it was okay in my campaign i started it all off with um i want the the characters to basically be the anime protagonists Mm. i want them to feel that extra level of special right um we've got a couple other games that are very much so realism games where they're harsh and death is almost certain yeah um so i was like okay i'm gonna be the fantastical one you guys are gonna be super special snowflakes and um you know, I've given them all very special and unique um, weapons of legend is what I call them. Um, they're master crafted by the only artificer in my world. Um, no one wanted to play an artificer. So I said, cool, then it's off the table. My yep. NPC is the only guy. And so each one is specially crafted per character. So like, um, unfortunately, the wildfire druid that I killed with the dragon um she had these daggers that were kind of an offshoot of the bow of Nylea from uh, Theros, yeah. where, you know, each dagger, where it hit, it cast a different kind of spell. She still had to use her concentration on that spell, but it didn't consume a spell slot, you yeah. know, so getting what getting level, those kind of, what's that? What level were they for this? Uh, they were level seven. Okay. Yeah, that's all right. Yeah. That's fine. Uh, they were level seven, did about three sessions worth. Um, our sessions are similar to you in like six plus hours. Typically mm-hmm. speaking, I'd say eight. Um, but so they did three sessions worth of prep. Uh, they did their research on where can we go to get these items so that we can have fire resistance going in there. What does the cult look like? How many strong are they? When is he going to be out of his lair? So they did their homework and they earned it for sure. But looking at it, I was going, all right, we'll <laughs> see, we'll see how this goes. But yeah. How did that, uh, that campaign work out? Like how long did it last? Th- that one, that one's still going. That's mine. Because 
my big thing that I want to point out is everything we've talked about has been for long-term campaigns and mm-hmm. for ongoing campaigns. When you have one shots or short little campaigns that are going to last the summer or whatnot, go fucking hog wild. Oh, yeah. Every once in a while, you'll hear James on the podcast go off about, well, I did a campaign one time where we built a cannon on the side of a horse and we like, and he comes up with this wild, ridiculous shit, but everything he did was like a three session arc, right? Or it was gotcha. a one shot, right? So it was, can we play with this? How does the physics work? And it's an argument opportunity more than anything else. He and his friends sit down and say, would it work like that? And then they go digging through the rules to find obscure wordings for shit to, mm-hmm. to see if they can, you know, be super nerds. And that's a whole lot different than the kind of campaign that I run, which is a as realistic as you can get in a high fantasy world where there are consequences and there are motivations. But every NPC has a full-fledged life and, and they came from mm-hmm. somewhere. They know their families. They're... They've got yeah. a need to eat and sleep. And there are some times that the NPCs are not available because they've gone to bed, right? Yeah. And that is not something that happens in every D&D campaign, mm-hmm. right? Um, so it's important when you're giving out rewards and gifts to think kind of the scope you're talking about as well. Because if you're just a bunch of goblins and each one of the goblins wants a different high-powered artifact as you go try to steal this cow, yeah, man, give them the artifacts. Let it be absolutely fucking wild. Mm-hmm. right let them accidentally blow up the cow and then turn the remains into a gigantic beanstalk that goes up into like go fucking wild so yeah so let's actually talk about your campaign for a little bit so that we can get into the requests and this is where i'm going to recommend to your players because i'm going to be like and how's that going to go right so your yeah. players should duck out here so thanks very much for listening this has been an episode of the it's Mimic podcast <laughs> you're wonderful travis is is great fuck off <laughs> all right so uh well as so talking my campaign yes um so like i said you know session zero was just over a year ago um i don't really remember the exact date that we started uh, i didn't ever know if it was going to come into uh well a podcast but i guess here i am sitting wrong yeah um <laughs> but uh yeah so we play uh, every other Saturday. Um, the Saturdays that I that I the Saturdays that I don't DM for, um, my players play in other games. Okay. We have significant scheduling conflicts because we have currently four campaigns going on with another one on its way. We had five with another on its way, but we dropped one of them because it was too chaotic. Can, can I ask why so many campaigns? Um, Various groups and styles of campaigns. So yeah. I myself, I play in only one and I DM only one. Um, we've got a group totaling of nine people However, my table is the largest with seven players and me as the DM. Mm-hmm. Um, so it gets a bit chaotic, but it's not awful. Um, I suppose the best thing that we do is um, at at the end of every session, uh, I, I want to say you guys might have touched on this uh, in one of the previous podcasts, but I can't remember. Um, at the end of every session, uh, you know, we've had our and that's where we end it you know everyone's packing up their stuff uh we go over pros and cons both for players and the dm yeah so initially you know we go around it hey you know travis i think your combat is awful and you need to do a better job at everything get good you nerd and 
you know, after that, I hit them back with, I think you're a lying sack of shit and, you know, go away. But, you know, either way, pretty but solid. This is how stuff. adults talk to each other. Yes, this is the appropriate. Method. Yes. You know, it's it's seriously helpful um, with that dragon fight that I just recently did. Um, the end of it, uh, I you know, I had created this massive board for it, made the entire dungeon straight not the entire one, most of the dungeon from Fizban's map, Um, you know, made it out of the foam, had the dragon mini. It was awesome. Sat down after the fact and I went, okay, pros and cons hit me with it. Be brutal. And the only thing that was negative about the entire session was that I'm not good at being a self-centered, you know, prideful, red dragon i'm not i'm not that guy so you know when all of them are saying you know we wish he would have done a better entrance we wish you know he he would have really done his body movements a little bit more i'm going you know for things that are against my nature as a human i'm kind of okay with that being the only negative i'll work on it but yeah Yeah. thank you for the backwards compliment i'll take it right um but yeah so it's it's pretty nice um let's see um and so do you so you guys do feedback at the end of every single session then yeah i have the players give feedback to each other as well i've got and it's not so much of this is what you should have done better but um your dice were really against you and they hand out inspiration right and so yeah your uh our inspiration at this point is just advantage on a roll but you can have a number of advantages saved up you get one at the end of each session or rather as many as people hand out to you right if everyone decides that dave needs inspiration then he could potentially get five pieces of inspiration but he can only hold on to or start each session with as many as he as his uh proficiency modifier okay so at level six he can have three so um it encourages them to use it and not hold on to it right so um but it gives them the opportunity to have this little bit of feedback back and forth it's usually dice based but every once in a while they will reward someone for hey that was a really cool idea you had here is your advantage the next time you try shit like this right and so it's very encouraging and then i will often drive people home or talk to dan or mieka afterwards or sometimes dave and be like so what did you think of the session um Mm. over a cup of coffee or something and i will get I didn't like this. I like that. This moved too slowly for me. And it's far more generic. They give me a lot of freedom to do my shit. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to getting feedback, like you've got to open up that level of communication just so that they're willing to come to you with requests for things, right? Yeah. Um, otherwise, only one person is going to do it or two people. And the rest of them are never making requests, so they never get anything. And that's yeah. a big thing for the, the listeners is request make requests you won't always get what you ask for but if you don't ask for anything you will never get anything yeah absolutely um i know uh my brother and i know i've spoken on him a couple times so far um he's one of the ones that uh i am excitedly terrified to hear his uh reasoning for his pros and cons he's one of those guys that's just completely blunt and honest with you he's to the point brothers hey like jesus you know it's it's the best worst thing you could ever ask for but (laughs) you know could could be better could be worse but i digress um how much do you prep between sessions then uh 
so it, it's kind of bad to say this, but I no longer work there. Uh, I used to work at a bank and there was a lot of downtime. So I had a document folder on my desktop that was li- labeled work notes. Mm-hmm. And all it was, was all of my homebrew D&D stuff with all sorts of session notes. Um, but overall, I'd say on average, I'm putting in between eight to 16 hours. Do you include your models and maps and everything as well with that? Oh, no. Um, very rarely am I making a map. Uh, I will say this is the first map I've ma- I've made. Otherwise, you know, we'll draw it on a whiteboard one. Sure. Uh, yeah. we've, got, we've got those grid ones, you know? Yeah, but like, I, the, even though you're using dry erase maps, you still have to plan what the map looks like, right? There's still a certain Fair. amount of planning and research and whatnot, right? Fair. Um, so I'd say no, that that's not including uh, making out the map. Uh, maps don't take me too long. Uh, thankfully, I'm pretty good with layouts. When it's in my head, I can kind of give myself a bird's eye view and figure out how I would want it to look, um, roughly how how wide it would have to be and stuff like that. Comes mm. very naturally to me. But the uh, the minis that I didn't include in the slightest because. That takes 3D printer time. And then if it's if it's going to get painted before the session, that alone adds hours onto yeah. it. So I'd say eight to 16 for prepping the actual session itself, uh, just because I've got enough going on with the world reacting that it's mm-hmm. pretty easy to plan around the players. Um, but if we're including minis, man, I don't even want to try to calculate that number. Now that is a a lot of people would say that that is an egregious amount of prep work. That but like over eight hours. I mean, you're doing twice as much prep than you're than you're playing, and you know, yeah. Um, however, you also have seven players, which means that there's not a single encounter that exists in any book that is actually set up for what you're able to do, and the CR is out the fucking window. Yeah. Right. So, um, just out of curiosity, do you do? encounter balance at all or do you just wing it do you just have a good gut feeling for it or do you do the math on it how's your so i i started very much so on just winging it and hoping for the best um you know i pretty much with every monster i throw at them i max out the the hit points that's the easiest thing for me to alter with them and still have it be doable you know the goblin that would have seven well, all of them are going to have goblin boss stat blocks, and yeah. you're, they're going to have 35 HP instead. Yeah. You know, so it's solid, easy, easy enough for me to do that. But balancing it, uh, so I winged it at first. It it went. I won't say it went well, but it definitely went. Um, after that, um, I found a chart in the DMG that helped. Just oh, it was it was awful. It could not have helped less. Um, it gave an entire list of what the uh, CR for how many people in a party. And <laughs> and let yeah. me tell you, it was awful. Yeah. It was so yeah. incorrect. I know. Um, that's bullshit. Yeah. So at this point, what I'm basically doing is I'm taking the average damage per round that my party does, trying to match it or beat it with my enemies and then, or rather my monsters, and then my monsters, I want to make sure that they can at least survive three of those. If they can survive three of those, then I'm getting through a normal combat. Yep. Once I have those numbers calculated, I then look at 
how is the action disparity going? If my players have more actions, I'll throw in a couple multi-attacks. If my monsters have more actions, good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that I look at uh, almost more importantly than damage output is to hit. Mm -hmm. um, so the math that I do right now is I've got players at my table who have maxed out their attack stat, right? The bard has a charisma of, of plus five, right? Mm -hmm. Plus three proficiency means that they're spellcasting modifiers of plus eight. I need monsters that are doing a plus seven or better, right? Yeah. So that we are at least rolling about the same that on as far as like to hit goes. Because yeah. if I, I can't control necessarily in my prep work, which character is going to get attacked. And so the barbarian versus the sorcerer, if I can sit there and say, okay, what's the AC? What am I aiming for? I'm really looking for how often am I hitting yeah. um, as opposed to how much damage I'm doing, because that damage means very different things in different classes. So um, a lot of my prep work is based on action economy. I know who has extra attack or who mm -hmm. I've got um, a sorcerer right now who is consistently using quicken spell to get that second spell off as well. Right. Yeah. So, um, so I'm looking at what spell effects are happening. Are they splitting the party? Uh, how many people are showing up? What's the action economy look like? And honestly, I can balance that better than I can damage output. Because it doesn't matter how much damage they could theoretically do. It matters how much they're going to hit and then do damage, right? Besides, the players all have healing potions and healing spells and shit. Like, they're yeah. going to bounce back. You can knock someone down, but you still have six other com like combatants on the damn table, right? So, yeah. so you, ha you haven't even affected the action economy by knocking someone out. Not that much, right? Maybe one or two attacks. At, at, yeah. At, at best, you're taking at least one spell slot and one action with that in which, okay, are you going to do that? Are they even going to use the spell slot or are they just going to use a potion that's on their belt and just administer it, you know? Yeah. So it, it gets difficult when you look at it. <sighs> in various ways but at the same time um taking those slots away at least at least in my situation with the seven player party um taking even just one spell slot away can get me so much ground if one of them isn't going to be attacking sweet i'm i'm i've got so much extra room to work with <laughs> you know yeah, i'll take i'll take an inch and honestly, the other thing that I like to do is just stack encounters on each other mm -hmm. um, and not necessarily combat, but just you need to whittle away your resources. I recently had the sorcerer and the bard walk into the first combat of the day with no spell slots left because nice. they burned it all in role playing shit. And they went, well, fuck, we need a short rest before we can do this. And I'm like, no, nah, they're coming. Mm -hmm. Sorcerer, you need to pull out your crossbow. Good yeah. luck. Right. Got and any sorcery so, points to convert? Yeah. Right. And that's... uh. That is how I look at, like, how often are we hitting? And this is why I'd rather hit so they're burning spell slots on uh, Cure Wounds, mm. right? Um, so I'd rather hit to do 8 damage than hit every third time to do 40, right? Because gotcha. their resources will get used up regardless the moment that the session is over. So I want to hit everybody a little bit. Yeah. So. Um, now that's that is something that I struggle with is getting my players to use those spell slots and those resources during those role play moments. Um, just have know, just have your NPC start doing it. Just just fair enough. Start using charm on your players. They yeah. will immediately go, "Oh shit, we have to be able to counter charm. We have to be able to cast this stuff as well." You have the big bad guy walk in and cast 
he can only do it with his staff and it's attuned to him so no one else can do it right um and it has to be wielded by this specific kind of well whatever whatever mm-hmm. right but he walks in and casts eighth level sleep the two of the party members go down suddenly they're looking at sleep like a viable spell to use right so fair enough it, yeah, this is how I get them off of their favorite, um, like their go-to spells. Mm-hmm. I have three players that cast Shatter in round one right now. You would better believe I'm going to get that shit off their radar as quickly as possible. And you know what? Silence. 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 Fuck your Shatter. We're done. <laughs> and so, then they're picking up Silence. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, so, um, or uh, Counterspell is, is rapidly becoming a favorite. Um, I've recently been counterspelling as a, as bad guys, and yeah. the rage at my table is yep. beautiful because I wait for them to use their their level three spells and they just lose their shit. Yeah. So, um, counterspelling anyway, the counterspell is probably one of the best things, and they don't see it coming when you just cast dispel magic. Mm-hmm. Um, sidebar: If you want to take away the magic item that you gave them cast dispel magic on it that's all it takes and it doesn't come back at the end of a rest or anything it's just done it's just gone um what level are your players right now uh they are level seven so seven level seven what's your overall theme of this campaign um not necessarily plot but like what are the themes you're hitting? Is it high adventure? Like what genre is it? What are the overall themes you're hitting? So it's it's high magic. Um, that was one of the biggest things I wanted to do. Um, now, granted, high magic in the sense of magic is abundant in the world. Um, the only place that you'd go to to really look at it and be like, holy crap, there is magic doing literally everything is a floating city above a mountain. Um as to be expected, but there are spellcasters everywhere. There's some in every adventuring party. You know, it's it's commonplace. Um, we've got that. Um, is it gritty realism at all? Like, are you? Is it a deadly campaign? Are we talking undead or fiends or no? Um, it's it's realistic in the sense sense of. Um, Everyone has a life. If you talk to that NPC, similar to like you were saying before, you know, NPCs got to eat, sleep and, you know, drink. So, you know, there's a time and place that they'll be at certain places. If you look at them, you'll realize that everyone's life is kind of scheduled. So it is it is realism in that sense. But I wouldn't say gritty realism, definitely more fantastical. Um, Like, let's see. What can I talk about? Oh, I, I we told them to stop listening, so we're good. Um, yeah. uh, we had them meet a um, shopkeep, and personally, I don't like doing too many accents. I'm not the best at it. Um, however, I do like um, representation. Uh, yeah. I do like representation in my games. So the first shopkeep that they went into at the anti-magic city, they said, hey, anything arcane, it's not good. You got to leave it at the gates. Only divine magic here. That shopkeep has rhoticism. And he is a forest gnome uh, who mans the gnome depot. Uh, so scary. yeah, no, it's awful. It's it's fantastic. Um but so they they latched onto him immediately. His name was Body Knock Timbers, so it's it's just it's awful. Um, but so they latched onto him super quickly, and with how quickly they latched onto him, I went, okay, they like him. How can I make him relevant? 
Well, now he's the leader of an underground mages guild in the anti-magic city. Nice. You know? So realism, but not too gritty, still fantastical. And funny. But every, yes, definitely more humor than I need because when the serious moments come, I'm going to hit them and hit them hard. Um, one of the players uh, is playing a nine-year-old child who has bonded her soul with a gray render. So this is one of the homebrew classes. I, I went into extensive research onto it and did some um, meddling with it. But we've we've talked about this in the Patreon Discord. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love Pudge. This. Pudge is fantastic. Such a um, great name for a halfling too. Right. Um, so uh so she hangs out with him and uh she so I did I did rookie missions is what I called them. Basically, before starting the campaign, I gave everyone their own mini session to feel out their character, give them nice. an in-game moment for their character. Nice. Well, she uh, had her dad be a um, black market dealer of exotic animals, and mm. she got too close to a baby griffin. And where there's a baby griffin, there's a mama griffin. Yeah. So it went to slash out at her. However, her own mother jumped in the way, got hit by the griffin, and killed. Because she's a nine-year-old commoner, she was illiterate, didn't know how to write, didn't know how to do anything. So she just left scribbles on the ground saying, you know, trying to portray that she's sorry and it was an accident because dad was off somewhere. Yeah. So she left there and has been adventuring ever since. The second we get back to that city, it's going to be emotional and difficult. So that's that's where the humor ends. But as soon as we're out of that, okay, let's let's lighten it up a bit. See, my my players have a very distinct difference between downtime and adventure time. Mm. And every once in a while I will blend the two and it fucks with them a bit. But their downtime is time for fun and funny and shopping and it's good times. And then when it's time to start the adventuring day, they go to work. And it's high fantasy and it's big hero moments. I'm trying not to do depressing, gritty bits anymore. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not like it's low stakes. It's very high stakes. They just get to be friends in the downtime and they get to do other fun shit outside of bleeding in a dungeon somewhere, right? Yeah. Like, um, and so it's it's good to hear that there's a that there's some humor. A lot of people try to steer away from it or lean into only the humor and there always mm. needs to be a blend oh, um yeah. you guys i know you play in person um and you play eight hour sessions every two weeks yeah. um can you in like a minute or less give us a backstory on your campaign like the overall plot yeah so the backstory um so none of my players know this um but a mind flayer nautiloid crashed down into the Arctic in the territory of a white great worm dragon that has found a way to attune to a circlet of intel intellect. Um, so it crashed landed there. It has since claimed it as its own prize. The mind flayers moved away, are now in the Underdark, trying to you know build up their popul population so that they can go back out there and get their nautiloid. Now, their main concern isn't getting off planet, 
and back to wherever they needed to be. Um, the big thing is, is I stole an artifact from one of the previous editions. Um, I don't know which one, but it's called Crenshinabon. And I think I'm pronouncing that right. I take it you know what this is? I'm familiar with it. It's been a while, okay. but I'm familiar with it. Um, so the gist of it off the top of my head, because I, I found it, I loved it, I put it in, I haven't looked at it since. Sure, yeah. Um, but the gist of it is um, you can use it to create these towers, and you can even create these towers uh, to go through planes, I believe. There's something with planar travel. Um, but so it automatically attracts any evil aligned creature. And that was one of the things that I loved about it because I've got, you know, a dragon in my party. He's naturally evil inclined. So he's going to be attracted to it when they come to it eventually down the road. Thought that was a fun point, but so the mind flayers are going to be getting back there because they need to get back to it. In my world, I've uh, made a plane of dreams. I saw some stuff on it for D&D. I thought it was cool, and I thought that it would be the best place for me to put my lore dumps for my uh, players. So I added some uh, charisma rolls. I basically stole the mechanic from um, – oh, it's the plane of chaos. Uh, it's not limbo. Yeah, limbo's limbo's the planet. Chaos. Is it okay? Pandemonium, that, that's that's chaotic neutral. Okay. Pandemonium is evil, and I can't remember the one above it off the top of my okay. head. Okay, um, um, there's there's an alternate rule for rolling a check to basically create things. Yep, that's um, limbo. Yeah. Yep, I stole that, made it a little bit more difficult to do, and then applied it to my plane of dreams so that you can you know go in there and manipulate it. And I basically made this um, library of all the knowledge on the material plane that this one creature can gather. And you can check out a book for free, but if you wanted to bring it back into the material plane, you're going to have to roll contesting charisma check. Yeah. So super fun stuff with that. Um, the mind flayers eventually are going to be trying to bring Krenshinabon into that realm. And then from there, just take over everything. I want you to understand that Krenshinabon is, um, you didn't just pick an item. You picked like the Death Star of items. This is such a <laughs> famous D&D &D item that you have just like, ah, this one sounds fun. It is literally the Crystal Shard from the book, The Crystal Shard, which was <laughs> The very first book that R.A. Salvatore wrote, and it is the very first, I want to say, Dritz book as well. Okay. So this is big. When you said it, I'm sure that any old school or, or longtime D&D fan went, <laughs> oh, shit, that. That would be like, that would be like someone saying, yeah, I brought in this cool, fun thing that was like, I don't know, it's neat. I haven't really looked into it, but if you're, okay, so think about a sword where you press a button on the hilt and suddenly it's it's made of lasers, right? Like, it's such yeah. a fucking iconic piece of D&D &D lore, and you were so nonchalant about it <laughs> that I'm like, I like, I had to do a double take yeah. there. I absolutely love that you did that. So, okay, well, good to know I accidentally made a good choice. Oh, not just a, not just a good choice, but like, you should rename it so your players don't know it because they can research it. It, this is Googleable okay. and will pop up with pages of hits. This has a a wiki entry or four, 
right? Like they can read the novels, the trilogy about this thing. So you might want to just name it, like just reverse the letters in it or something to 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 obfuscate it just a bit. So Mm -hmm. uh, I fucking love that. That is (laughs) the shit we do accidentally, right? So um, do you know how this whole thing is supposed to play out? Um, Well, I know how it plays out if the players don't do anything. See, Um, and that's a really cool place to be. Like that is how I run it as a DM as well. Like, no plan survives contact with the enemy, but mm-hmm. I give my players a shit ton of agency. So, yeah. Um, so I know what the end goal of the bad guys is and how it's going to work out. And then I have a couple of contingency plans as well if my yeah. players are smart, but they're not. So here yeah. we are. My biggest um, thing was I wanted to create a document that I named The Affairs of Man. Um, and all it is is just what's going to happen in the world, provided there's no interference you know at x point the hobgoblins do this and then because they do that the mind flayers do this and then you know i've got it all laid out i but when the players come in throws things out working out of a living world is really really fun and rewarding as a dm and this is one of the only mediums where you can really play with that so that's that's fun it also puts you in a very unique place for handing out rewards is because they can request you can put it in there and it might have no effect on the storyline, or mm-hmm. they might just be like, so I want this thing called Crenshinabon, <laughs> right? Yeah. I, I read about it in a wiki article once, and I haven't looked at it since. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fuck, I, oh, I'm going to be laughing myself to sleep with that one. That is so good. <laughs> Did you have any idea how big that is? No? No, I had, I had no idea whatsoever. Uh, shit i'm gonna i'm gonna tell dan that i'm gonna wait for him to have a mouthful of coffee see if i get a spit take good um i think he and maybe jeff would be the only people on the podcast that are gonna like really appreciate that one um Mm. Epps has a weird level of lore that i'm not familiar with like i don't know how much she knows but she knows a lot it's all very strange lore too um so let's go through your party you have seven players have they all given you a request um Yes, um, for the most part, I've I've fulfilled their current request. Um, the biggest thing that I'm looking for now is to find out, you know, what I can do from there. Um, you know, like I was saying earlier, those weapons of legend. Mainly, it's a way for me to get rid of having to worry about if they're wanting a magic item for a weapon. You know, a plus one, a plus two, or whatnot. Here's your weapon. Go hide in the corner with it. Um, so. Gosh, to go over them one at a time. So, okay, so I know. So let's let's go through the checklist. Okay. So the well, we got a checklist here because we can we'll end up going through like personal backstories and important mm-hmm. like historical moments that, that the players have done. But mm-hmm. let's look at the important things for gifting. So uh, class, subclass, race, and background is one. Do they already have sidekicks and pets? Like, will this be affecting action economy? Um, uh, important items or go-to spells. Like it's one thing to say, oh, I've got a warlock. It's another one to say that I've got a pact of the chain warlock that mm-hmm. uses the familiar to cast these spells to whatever, right? So um, play style of the player and how sensitive, impatient, distracting, like are they a problem? And if so, how? Uh, and let me tell you, be cruel, be honest. Every player is a problem in their own unique way. Oh yeah. I, Every I told player them all I'd be putting them on blast. Golden. And, and we love them for it. We're not going to focus on how they're great. We're going to focus on how they're not great. 
mm-hmm. to keep us within boundaries about what we would give them, right? Yeah. So let's go through it. I'm going to take notes. So I'm going to put myself on mute and let you babble and go through the, right. uh, the checklist here. All righty. So, um, so initially we've got, I, I've spoken on the gunslinger. Um, he's playing the um, Matt Mercer gunslinger. He's going the path of the gunsmith or something like that. I forget what it's called. Uh, not the desperado one. Um He's playing a tabaxi, and good lord, I can't even remember his background. I want to say it's Outlander. Or the background doesn't matter too much until yeah. they start to lean into. Well, I'm a scholar, right? Yeah. Or my Outlander always gives me this one thing that I'm consistently mm-hmm. using. Most of the times, I find the backgrounds don't matter. When you're listening to this in 2025, you're going to be like, backgrounds don't matter. They're the only thing that matters. But like for now. It's the yeah. weakest of the three important parts, right? Yep. So we've got him. Um, he doesn't have any sidekicks or pets for the most part. I'm trying to get rid of sidekicks and pets in, in totality. Um, I've got the one player with a companion. I'm not trying to go higher than eight things. Um, it's a little bit much in combat as is. His important items, obviously as a gunslinger and the only gunslinger in my world, his guns are important. I gave him his weapon of weapon of legend, which <sighs> I'm, I'm going to reveal a side of my nerdiness. Uh, I used to play League of Legends, and I stole uh, some words from that, and I named his uh, gun that I made him uh, the Hexcraft Rifle because mm-hmm. you infuse magic into yeah. it. I, it just worked well. Yeah. Um, it allows him to basically, as a free action, convert the gun into a different type of gun. In all actuality, this doesn't do anything for him because he already had those guns and it's a free action for him to draw and stow because of the class. But it's cool. Um, So pretty easy on that. The only other thing, um, I touched on that plane of dream stuff for a bit, that pulling stuff from it into into the material plane. I got a little carried away with myself, I won't lie. And um, I let the Destiny 2 nerd in me come out, and I gave him a fully automatic four-round shotgun. Um, It does 12d6 if he mag dumps. It's it's basically just the dragon breath. It was both a mistake and a lovely, lovely opportunity, because it means I got to throw more dice in his face. Sorry, it does 4d6, did you say? So it does 3d6 on a single shot, or he can mag dump it, and he's getting rid of all this special gunpowder that he made. So he is losing some stuff, but if he mag dumps it, it does 12d6. All right, okay, I'm doing math on that, sure, keep going. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not a fun math. He's one of my more interesting... Can I, can I just ask really quickly, uh-huh. how often does he get that four-round... Like the mag dump. Uh, if he has the bullets and has it reloaded, um, currently he only has like eight shots in it or something. Um, making those bullets for it is something I is almost impossible for him at this point. Um, he's got to get um, charcoal, saltpeter, so and another is, ingredient. This is something like he might as well just have one one seventh level spell scroll, right? Pretty like, much, yeah. And, and he still has to hit with it, right? Yep. So, still still rolls to hit, all that jazz. Um, the, the average on 
on 12d6 is 42 average damage. Yeah. That's absolutely wild. However, the bottom is 12, right? And the yeah. and the idea that players never roll as high as they want. And then on top of that, it's costing. Uh, this is not egregious to me. This is something that is monitored, cost resources. Mm -hmm. And it, like, this is a get out of jail free, a Hail Mary. And it, I often give out Hail Marys just to yeah. make sure that we don't have TPKs, right? So yeah. I don't hate this, especially because you've got balance problems and you can go ahead and add more characters with max hit points and stuff. But a death spiral is always three bad rolls away. Yeah. Right? And so um, having something like this is not a bad idea. So it's it's very helpful for those moments where they're, you know, they're peeling back into the corner and he's going, OK, we'll just dump this thing and hope for the best. Yeah. And can he hit more than one target with the shotgun? Um. So technically, yes, Um. I've told him he can. However, any subsequent rolls, if he's mag dumping it. It's a fully automatic shotgun. If yeah. he tries to target a separate creature, it's at disadvantage. Sure. Okay, that's fair. But like, I was just curious. Again, though, that's only four creatures, right? Yeah. If you have a dozen zombies coming at you, you're not wiping the battlefield. Yeah. So it's not an area of effect, which is mm -hmm. which is good. So. But yeah. So he's he's one of my better and worse players. Um, he's better in the sense of he's super tactical, super into the role play. Um, he's the DM for the campaign that I'm currently playing in. Um, so he does good by me. I do good by him. Easy peasy. However, the downside is he gets super excited about new character concepts. So just after this red dragon fight, he said, oh, you know, I was thinking I might retire this character. And just before the dragon fight, he was talking about this new build, you know, and I'm going, so are we retiring because you're an old cat or are we retiring because you want to play a new character? So he gets super gung ho about all these new builds that he's coming up with and, you know, oh, how he's going to interest or, um, like, like yeah, interweave yeah. different yep. points. Yep, interweave yeah. things into the backstory and how he's going to get them into the party. And I'm going, just stick with one character for me. <laughs> um, but he's a great player other than that. Um, then we've got another Tabaxi. Um, he is my rogue swashbuckler. Um, tabaxi, as I said, and God help me if I can remember his background. I don't think I can remember any of them. Good Lord. Um, I so can tell you right now that I know the background of one of my six players, and I don't think it has come up ever for any of the others. It's just like, enough. if you know it, it's helpful to to just yeah. know, oh, okay, urchin background, just a little bit of flavor for a mm -hmm. rogue, right? Like, But ultimately, backgrounds I find stop being narratively important by about session three. Yeah. So... so his his important item um he so the player himself is an electrical engineer he's got a super technical mindset um so i wanted to give him something that is difficult to work with but pays off when done right um so he's got cestuses i think that's the plural form so rather than a sword i gave him those Everyone's proficient with unarmed strike, so sure, you're proficient with this. Um, For anybody listening that doesn't know what those are, those are essentially fist blades. 
for lack yeah. of a better term. Like instead of brass knuckles, you have blades coming out. And instead yeah. like thick Wolverine, but instead of three, it's one big ass nasty one, right? So yeah. No, they are killer. Um, but so we're working with that form and um so their current thing, I think oh, what was it? No, after a while. Um, because I want these weapons to scale with the characters. So after a while, I'm gonna give him a crit on a 19 or 20. And on a rogue, that's all you can ever hope for. Um, but he's got these uh those blades that you were talking about, right? Um, they are basically detachable and they're crafted out of a copper alloy. Reason being is he wanted to be a super special snowflake and have innate lightning powers. I told him, well, either you can take a level in sorcerer or I can nerf you in other ways and let you, you know, take a spell here and there, you know? So he's got like, I forget what the lightning cantrip is. That's the whip that reaches out. Forget what lightning lure, lightning lure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he's got access to that. And then, um, Oh, I can't remember what other spells I gave him off the top of my head. However, anytime he utilizes them, he takes damage. So um, any spell saves that he would have to use go off of his constitution rather than any modifier or whatnot. Because it's, you know, innately coming out of him. But um, so those are his important weapons. Uh, that copper alloy, detachable blade. He went to the trouble and saved up money to have someone work on it and be able to shoot them out. I didn't want to give him like super insane levels of range on it, but what I did give him was he can shoot it out to 20 feet accurately. Um, I think it was 60 feet with disadvantage or something like that, which he doesn't plan on using anyway. When it's out on the ground or impaled into a creature... What I've given him is um, a plus one to his two hits and um, minus one if they need to make a saving throw due to the copper inside of it. This is where it gets super technical. It's awful, but he's on he's on it and he loves it. But um, from there, the weapon has grown with him a little bit and he can, as a bonus action, teleport towards that um thing up to 30 feet now that part was easy for me to do for him because the teleporting aspect of it is basically him just disengaging and moving that 30 feet or him dashing that 30 feet because he's a swashbuckler anything he attempts to hit can't make opportunity attacks it's just his bonus action dash yeah easy peasy yeah all right let's see that's two of seven we're making it <laughs> um let's see the nine-year-old uh Leica, she is phenomenal she brings the joy to the party um she is nothing but a ball of chaos she is a homebrewed class called Soulbinder. i know that my brother got it off of reddit but other than that i i have the pdf but that's about it for you basically the gist of Soulbinder. You fuse your soul with the soul of a creature. The subclasses in it give you different types of creatures. So there's one for an aberration. There's one for, you know, monstrosity and so on and so forth. She the boring player chooses humanoid. Right. And yeah. it's just slavery with steps. <laughs> <laughs> but um, 
but so she went with the monstrosity option. So she um, she wanted a gray render as a pet, but as her bound soul. Gray render she she looked at and she was like, they're just sweethearts. They bring people gifts. They leave stuff. They're 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 gentle giants, you know. They're so, cats. Yeah. Yeah, cats, but terrifying. Cats. Um, <laughs> uh, so she is very interesting with the way she works with it. She basically is a buff class. She'll buff her teammates, buff her uh, pudge, her gray render. She'll buff him in various ways, give him um, a bonus to his uh, damage on hit, stuff like that. Um, some of the spells she utilizes are homebrewed. Um, there's, oh gosh, I can't remember it off the top of my head, but so a lot of buffing, debuffing, more supporty role in that aspect. Um, she is just playing a standard human, um, believe she took a uh, variant human as every player does. Um, so, uh, her important item. So she being a kid, I let her have um, like an avatar, the last airbender, the glider that Aang has. Rather than having her take Featherfall, I had her take that. That glider can deteriorate over time. She can use it as a reaction, stuff like that. So that's a little fun kid flavoring to her Featherfall. Did you base that off the Hadozi? stuff because they no can... no uh we did all this before the hodozi were out all right cool yeah um but um her special item is um taken from ben 10 the cartoon don't know if you ever watched it that omnitrix that he had i am a little bit too old for that but okay. i am familiar with it because well my friends have kids so fair enough but the entire concept of it, because her class is based around supporting and buffing her companion, she's got a friendship bracelet that was made for her by the artificer in my world. And when she twists it, it pops up a tab, just like in the cartoons, and she can slam it down. When she does so, it gives him various buffs, such as altering his movement speed, whether it be burrow, flying, whatnot. And it only alters it for one minute. She gets proficiency bonus per per long rest, I think it is. I have the document somewhere. But um, so she's got that one, and there are a couple other ones that alter it. Uh, my favorite one is called, uh, I think it's like Relentless Fury or something. And basically, when either her or Pudge drop below a quarter health, it automatically activates. It's basically a safety button. And as soon as it happens, Pudge gets a bonus damage die, and he gets to, as a reaction, move half his speed up to the nearest creature that caused that damage. Um, it is terrifying, and I have yet to see it in play, and I don't want to. But, yeah. I think that's really funny, and it would be a, a lot of fun to use in, like, a bar fight as opposed to <laughs> just, like, out against, like, a manticore or something, right? Like, mm -hmm. having, having the humanoids have to react to suddenly the gray render goes ape shit that yeah. i think has, has a lot more or like you're in the fey wild for whatever stupid reason and it's a bunch of pixies or boggles or some small size creature and the gray render just goes to fucking town yeah, yeah. that's a good like almost cutscene moment that's a lot of fun absolutely yeah um i will say she um she decided to give him flaws as well as herself. So when she was looking at the table and whatnot, 
my brother having all the homebrew stuff in the world had a homebrew table for it. Um, so she was looking at it, and the one that she went with was that he is terrified of carts and thinks thinks that they are evil monsters. Hmm. And as a as a bonus flavor, we added if she is on any mount, he gets jealous and will attack the mount. So the uh, Tabaxi gunslinger Booker, he had a horse, and then right. she tried to ride oh, it. No. Yeah. So she stays 10 feet away with Pudge from the party's cart as they're walking down the road. It's fun. Yeah. Um, let's see. That's – so I'll save the best – okay, the quote-unquote best two for last in my opinion. Um, next up I have Pike. He's my um, monk ranger. Uh, he's a Kensei uh, monk hunter ranger. Um, he's playing a wood elf, and I believe he went with Outlander background as well. Um, no sidekicks, no pets. Pretty straightforward. This is my mechanical guy. Um, he, he doesn't really have many important items or spells other than Hunter's Mark because he's a ranger. Yeah. Um, but the weapon that I gave him, being the efficiency combat tactic kind of guy he is, he wanted a whip that had normal damage. You know, not a D4 with the range. So I was like, okay, cool. We can have someone alter it, you know, make adjustments to it. And with him pouring money into it, we managed to basically turn it into um, – he referred to it – I think this is from that Castlevania series with Trevor Belmont. A morning star whip is what he called it. And the way I altered it further as he leveled up and whatnot was um, – I had my artificer put a, mecha a mechanism onto it that would basically contort the metal at the very tip. So it could either be a spear tip, a uh, ball tip, or some kind of, you know, almost scythe looking tip so that he can alternate between bludgeoning, slashing, and piercing damage nice. if and when. Um, the other thing he can do um, is eject the handle and put resources into it to give it a damage type. So if he takes hot coals from the fire from last night from them camping, puts it in, closes it up, that's a D4 of fire damage for the next hour. So him being that tactically minded guy, I've never seen a man's backpack fill up so quick. It's insane. Um, let's see. Oh, I suppose I haven't been going over distracting and whatnot, have I? Um because like uh, yeah what's the uh what are the downsides of the players um so pike my mechanical guy you know very similar to you with dave i can't it, it's difficult to get him to engage in the role playing and exploration side of things he's been making leaps and bounds um you know we've told him in our pros and cons hey we'd love to see you do this more hey if you could try to engage this more you know he's been doing fantastic with it that's the only issue I have with this man other than he falls asleep at like 10 p.m. and we usually go to 12 p.m. So yeah what about uh your soul binder what's her you know, um fatal flaw? she is a very quiet player uh she oftentimes gets talked over um which it works out kind of well for her playing a nine-year-old um, the only downside with it is when she's trying to be that annoying in-your-face child, but can't be because other people are loud. That's the only real issue I see with her. She dives into her characters, and I mean, she gets 
into it. I've made her cry on accident more times than I can count. So it's always nice when you can do that. I think that so far Dave is the only character at my table that has not cried. So fair enough. Yeah. Um, um what about your swashbuckler? What's his what's the player's flaw? Oh, so many, but so few. <laughs> <laughs> um no, he is he is a fantastic guy. Um he he is slightly autistic. He's not medically diagnosed, but everything lines up on it. So I won't claim it for him, but either way, um, he gets super mixed up in the fine print super quickly. So, you know, making that item for him, like I was explaining, he can shoot it this far and then he can teleport to it using this and he can do that and this, that and the other. It took us the better part of three weeks to get that all solidified and figured out. Um, he will hear a quick you know, description of something, latch on to that boot in the corner with all the other shoes, but that boot is special. For some reason, he latches onto those small details. Oftentimes, I try to give him something for it. You know, if, if I'm going to sit here for five minutes telling him a hail of arrows came at you and you're going to make a dexterity saving throw rather than them rolling to hit, if that's going to be the case, that's going to be the case. I I don't want to sit here and describe it to you for five minutes, you know? So he gets mixed up super quickly. Okay. Hyper, hyper fixates on things, right? Yes. Okay. Right. Is that all caught up? Yeah. 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 We're good. Well, we did the gunslinger too, but you told me he was fairly excitable about swapping. That's right. Yeah. All right. We got Um, three more to go. Three more. Who am I missing? We got Booker, Fraxis, Laika. Oh, we have the dead one. That's why. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Um. So Cinder, she was my uh, wildfire druid. And in the massive battle against the red dragon, this is the, the red dragon that took over her circle of wildfire, looked at the entire circle and said, you work for me now, and then had them bathe in the lava mixed with his blood and they became half dragons in front of her and she Uh-oh. went no thanks i'm going to i'm going to run away now um so she unfortunately died very cinematically in the fight with the red dragon um do you have a replacement character yet not completely built up um i still got like a week and a half to work on it with her but she's currently looking at oh what did she decide i think aracocra um blade singer something oh the the speed and flight that awaits you Uh, it's gonna be great when i throw earthbind at her but (laughs) um so that's her new one we haven't fleshed out too much but she was a fantastic uh fire genasi um i believe she went with acolyte as well um she was she played more of the big sister role to Leica, the nine year old, um, which is definitely more the speed of my little sister who was playing that character. She really dove into it and loved that aspect of it. Um, she had and I, I touched on this earlier. She had these knives and when she threw one of them, each one representing four seasons, so four knives in total, summer, winter, autumn, all that jazz. How um, very Janassi. Like I know, you, right? Like before. I mean, it, it's technically a ladrin, but I'm, come on now. It's, yeah. It's, it's you're right you're going to hit the same flavors. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But so the summer one 
cast Fairy Fire without casting a uh, spell slot. Still used her concentration, her modifiers, all that jazz. Just no slot. The winter one was Rhymes Binding Ice. The spring was... Oh, it's the the Area of Effect Thorn one. Can't remember it. Sure, yeah, I'm with you. Um, And then, what am I missing? Autumn? Uh, I believe Autumn was some kind of fire spell. I forget. Sure. But super fun. She loved it. Um, She definitely used Scorching Ray a lot, being Wildfire Druid, getting that bonus D8 to fire damage. So she's mechanically minded then, like to be able to capitalize on, I don't want to say power gaming, but definitely Um, so I would I would say she's not mechanically minded. Uh, she doesn't want to suck, that's for sure. But my brother um, does me a service and helps her think of concepts and whatnot. Mm-hmm. My brother is very much so, as I've touched on before, kind of power gamey, homebrew heavy, wants yeah. to be the best. So nothing wrong with it, you know, to um, each their own. What's her What's her play style, generally speaking? Um, so it's kind of difficult to narrow down. Um, this is the first campaign she's ever played in, um, so she's still feeling it out. But she's definitely more of the – if I could relate it to anything, it would be like the tech crew in a theater performance. She's the background heavyweight champion. Uh, without her, there would have been a lot of moments that would have ended poorly. So yeah, but so at the boss. same – Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Uh, with Every the, group has a party mother, even yeah. if it's a bunch of dudes. There's one person taking care of everybody else, right? So. Yep. Um, um, what's her flaw? What's her player flaw? She she is hypersensitive. Uh, we've had a couple different discussions outside of the table, of me going, "Hey, if it's been a, a difficult day at work, if it's been whatnot, you know, grab a drink, do whatever you need, sit down, know that all of us are here." If something hits you too hard, if you're getting overstimulated, whatnot, just look at me, raise a hand, do something, and just take a step away from the table. We had to have that conversation a couple times before it cemented. I've got three of those at my table where it's just like we don't have the item that you that you place to say, you know, I need a break or anything. But we have definitely like I need a moment. Just give, mm-hmm. give me a minute. I'm going to get up and walk away for a sec. Yeah. Um, and I can see it on their faces when they begin to shut down. And so I just, at this point, know them enough to say, hey, let's take a pee break. Everybody walk away. Like, we'll we'll figure who needs another beer, right? Yeah. And, then, and then break the narrative for a sec. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So you've got All two right. more. Two more. So um, I'll start with my brother since I was talking with him, I guess. Um, so he's currently playing um, a quote-unquote uh, sorcerer. Um, Yuan-Ti Pureblood. However, in actuality, he is playing a young green dragon uh, who is polymorphed into a Yuan-Ti Pureblood. He's, um, he doesn't get a background, anything like that. It's a homebrewed thing from Reddit. Um, if anyone listening is curious, I think it's busted, but on Reddit, it was um, a PDF named I Am Dragon. I believe it's like version three or something like that. Um, Really, really cool. I think it's broken. I think it needs to be tweaked a lot. Take it at your own discretion. Um, But he is playing him very, very well. Um, Currently, you know, Green Dragon, he's focusing on his poisons. However, by far, the thing that um, the spells that he's focusing on 
charm person. The second he gets the chance to, he is charming people. Um, he's having fun with it, making sure that it's not going to bite him in the butt. But um, in order to conceal himself, he's using his stool's magic aura. He's got a ring of mind shielding. He put in so much time and effort to make sure that he could not be detected, that it's pretty much impossible for me to without dispel magic. Um, but aside from that, he is he's very much so of the mindset of everything that happens here happens in a real world. There are real consequences. He is my player that I can count on to really dive into the world and everything that I've built. Um, if someone says the wrong thing in the wrong city, he'll turn to them and be like, you shut up right now. And he'll quiet the player before realizing that they were talking out of game. Um, yeah. Um, we have uh, Miyake's tabaxi is named Purpose because um, all of our tabaxis have, or sorry, tabaxi, tiefling. Our tiefling mm -hmm. is named Purpose. All of our tieflings have names that are based on concepts, like they're nouns, but they're not mm -hmm. objects, right? So, yeah. um, and uh, we ran into a fey creature who they didn't, they couldn't identify immediately who it was, but they knew that it was fey, uh, who said, so tell me your name and tell me your purpose. And Dan's like, well, she's Purpose, and then told a fake creature her given name. Um, and they all like realized what had happened and as a party retreated before anything else could happen. Right. Oh. And then and it still is a point of contention. That happened like months ago. So yeah. I I am familiar with that with the players just like running their mouths, and there's one player that goes, oh, No. Yeah, he so. is by far that player. Um, the only issue I run into him with or i run into with him is sometimes um he he does really poorly with side conversations and distractions obviously we want to mitigate that as much as possible but with eight people sitting at one table seven of which are in the party it's almost impossible for it you know so i've got an ongoing rule of if you're going to have a side conversation side conversation Make sure that you're doing so quietly and respectfully of others. Um, with him being a dragon, though, it gets a little messy with his magic items because I'm not going to give him magic items that he can attune to unless I have full control over them, um, such as uh, his quote-unquote weapon of legend that I've been handing out. His was part of Praxis, the uh, tabaxi uh, swashbuckler part of his backstory he stole a ruby about a football sized ruby from the red dragon that they just murdered that red dragon happened to be an artifact that increased the speed at which dragons age so this will give reasoning as to why he ages at the rate that the pdf says he does um so he's got that which in turn instead of getting asis he can opt for giving someone a draconic boon. So at level, oh no, when he got it, I allowed him to do one of minor ones in which he used it on the swashbuckler, gave him a pseudo dragon uh, fine familiar, which can only be ritual casted once per day, not too difficult. It also turned him green. No one has caught on to that yet, thankfully. They're just going, oh, weird effect, crazy, and a pseudo-dragon familiar. Oh, crazy. No one's picking up on it yet. It's, it's working out well. 
Aside from that, we come to the seventh member of the party, my paladin, Superior. Yep, it is by far one of my favorite names for a paladin. Could not be more superior. Yep. That is almost as good as the one that I knew um, who ended up being a rogue paladin um, mix, and he was a surprise. (laughs) That's good. Um, So the way that I've made him special is he is the only paladin of Aroas. Aroas and Mogus in my world have designated specific champions imbued their souls into a set of armor. So when his normal human dons a helmet, he becomes superior. So he's kind of playing two people, kind of not. The guy that the the normal dude that he's playing uh, is named Ted. He's based off of Ted the lawyer from Scrubs, if you've seen it. Basically, he's just a pitiful human. Um, People roll at disadvantage to notice him. Um, yeah, um, he's got, I believe it's like an eight in everything other than, um, other than charisma, which is a 10, I think. Um, but he's got expertise in stealth for social situations. It's, it's super fun, super rewarding for him too, because, oh, we're going to go into city and talk. Cool. Do I, do I use the good stats or do I use the better stealth? So it's interesting, but um, so he's playing an Oath of the Crown paladin, um, and we kind of flavored it. Typically, Oath of the Crown serves a king, thus the crown. Instead, Erois is his king. His um, oath is to Erois. Um, Ted is a human, so whenever the helmet isn't on, he's a human. Superior is an amethyst dragonborn, so when the helmet goes on, he gets the racial benefits of an amethyst dragonborn. Um, and he is a folk hero. So the second they got to that city that's anti-magic, everyone was all over him. Uh, he is the hero of the ages. He's been around for centuries, having different hosts and whatnot. Um, but he being a paladin and getting a special item, I thought it would be pretty cool to basically make a god artifact um, similar to the, the weapons in Theros. So he has what I call the Burning Mall of Aroas. It's a mall that um, sheds five feet dim light and an additional five, or sorry, five feet bright light, five feet dim light after that. Um, through it, he can cast Compelled Duel once a long rest for free. Um, and, oh, what did I do? Oh, um, he had a massive role play moment when everyone else was getting their special weapons. He had a massive role play moment where he sat down. You know, he had the inner conflict of, well, is Ted this hero who's going to go off and do this? Superior may be the embodiment of honor and um, victory, you know, but why is Ted here? If if anything, he should just keep the helmet on at all times and just be a better con- contribution to society. And that's where he sat down, had a role play moment with Erois, and Erois went, okay, well, superior is two of the three virtues of me. He is victory and honor, but you can't have either of those unless you have a courageous host. You can't have any of those without courage, and you have to be a scared little boy to be courageous. Yeah, So there's a, there's a big difference between being fearless and being courageous, right? So yeah. Absolutely. Is overcoming fear. And mm-hmm. it, it takes some people a while to wrap their brain around. Yeah. What's your player's 
like flaw. So yeah, it's it's difficult to really say anything because he's got too much natural charisma that I just like him too much. Um, oh, he's always late. He's my late guy. There it is. There, it has become a joke at this point. It's like, oh, if we're going to hang out, we should say we're going to hang out at one, but really meet up at two so that Tanner can be on time. I mean, Superior can be on time. <laughs> you know how to, uh, and is there like a reason, like, is he getting off work and that's the thing or is it? No, he's just no, late. He's just um, late. He, he has expressed that he's got some trauma attached to showing up on time, um, of which I won't go into. It's personal stories and sure, whatnot, of course, yeah. but um, you know, and if if it is the case, then you know, so be it. But we've we've done everything in our power to encourage him. You know, nothing like that's going to happen again. We're your friends. Just be here when we request it, please. <laughs> do do you encourage people showing up on time? Like, hey, at at exactly this time, we will hand out inspiration dice instead of doing it at the end of sessions at the beginning. Like so that. I I try not to do inspiration dice just because of my party size. Um, That's fair. Yeah. yeah. Um, what I do do though is in our in our Discord server for my campaign, I let everyone know, hey, two to two thirty is when I need you guys to show up. At three o'clock, we will start. Yeah. And the reason why I specify it in those increments is two to two thirty. If people show up in between that time, you know, I'll be there at two. And then if people need those minutes to talk to me, go over something, discuss the session, we can do that. But from 2.30 to 3.00, 3 is the hard start. Um, mm -hmm. From 2.30 to 3.00, that's their time to get their stuff in order, sit down at the table. There's seven of us, so there's bound to be chatter. But yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, that's that's the full party. So do they have requests that are outstanding right now or are they no so they don't they don't have too many requests that are outstanding um but i'm trying to build further without breaking them um as i've stated the weapons that i've given them they do they they will grow with the character as they level and as they you know accomplish various milestones so I'm wanting to reward them for, you know, defeating a dragon, defeating an adult red dragon at level seven. I want to reward them for this, and I want to give them all this stuff, and I want it to be good for them without it being taxing for me, you know? Have they looted the horde yet? They have. However, um, I can always throw things in there. Um, the other thing to remember uh, that Fizzbands gave us was that there's more than one horde. Yep, that's right? um, that's a thing. Absolutely, uh, so, they found they found one horde with uh, fifteen thousand gold in it. So, but I feel like the next horde should be the one with the items, right? The mm -hmm. thing. Right. Yeah. So, um, so as you've been talking, I've been going over it, and uh, I've got some ideas about what might be in a horde if you are interested. And in, yeah, absolutely. Uh, for each one of them, and so the last thing that I have is: do they function well as a unit? Uh, they function extremely well, and it's irritating. Um, uh, is it just tactically, or is it like role playing, or just? As a group, they're all just good friends, so it feels good. Or, but like, at one point, I had a, a four-person party that was so tactical they worked as a SWAT team, and it was almost impossible to yeah. get the drop on them. And the first two rounds were incredibly effective tactics. Mm -hmm. And like, do they operate like that as well? 
Um, yes and no. Um, they thoroughly enjoy throwing tactics out the window, but also there's a time and place for it. So, yeah. for instance, they were going to uh, go up against a um, hobgoblin forward operating base. I took in real life numbers how many hobgoblins would be there. Some Alexa speaker just went off upstairs, and that was terrifying. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so they were storming a hobgoblin base. There were roughly 72 hobgoblins in one base. And at the center of it, I put um, basically uh, Darren's instantaneous fortress. And so they're walking up to this thing, and they're getting pelted with arrows. They're getting, you know, stuff sh getting shot out of it. They're not having a good time. And then uh, my dragon, Iago, as he's known as, um, he goes, okay, Booker, gunslinger, Booker, we're going to do Operation Stinky Cheese. I'm going, oh, dear God, what is Operation Stinky Cheese? So they bash down the front door, and he goes in without dropping his form. He drops a stinking cloud forces most of them to forego their action retching and then he drops his breath weapon and then he drops it again and then he doesn't recharge and then he drops it again you know and so he just kept sitting in his own poison because it doesn't affect him and he effectively nuked about 40 hobgoblins with chlorine gas like yeah, it was disgusting. That is disgusting. That's ho that's horrifying. It's also a war crime. Mm -hmm. So, well, I mean, Geneva Convention hasn't happened in my world yet, but it will, especially uh, after that. We uh we have uh, rules of engagement, and that's why the bad guys are so bad because they won't follow them. But you mm -hmm. don't cross that line as a hero, right? So, mm -hmm. um, this allows me to take the gloves off and be a total bastard. I'm they yeah. follow the rules a bit. Um, um, my favorite thing about that encounter that they haven't figured out yet was um, there was a hobgoblin iron shadow who uh, has learned disguise self, and he was pretending to be a guard that was being interrogated. And they fell for it, and they brought him back to the city, and the infiltration has begun. Good. I'm Good. excited. All right, so let's go through these these items for the players. Um, I wanted to focus on items specifically because I feel like for most people, you hand out items, and that's the big rewarding thing. Like People like loot. Right? Yeah. And so it tends to be the first thing that we think of as uh, Dungeon Masters. I've got six of the seven of them, right? So uh, we, maybe we've got to workshop the last one. But going in order, you have the Gunslinger Tabaxi. Mm -hmm. Now, you've got a problem with this guy is the fact that he likes to make new characters. And while you gave him a bunch of really cool shit for him to play with, he has now played with and it's time for a new toy. Mm -hmm. My recommendation for you, and I've done this with great success in Call of Cthulhu, because I've got a lot of new players that didn't know which skills to pick, is um, this is the only one that's not an option. Or that's not, sorry, an object. Um, don't have him be... Um, uh, he's unique. He's going to be relatively famous at this point as the guy with the gun, right? Um, don't have him just be another adventurer. Invite him and only him into a guild. And so the reason that I say this is there should be a secret society of great warriors um, with utterly unique and singular abilities because this player is going to grab 
singular and unique toys to play with moving forward. Um, and so uh, he will retire from the party and say, okay, here we go. I'm done. Thank you very much. If you need me at any point or my guild, here's my card. You can psychically communicate with us and one of us will show up. And then it doesn't matter what play, what playable character he is, he can show up and represent the guild. This gives you, as a dungeon master, a little bit of opportunity to work in a secret society into your world, uh, which is a lot of fun. But it also lets him try out and play new things. I would just tell him, there's very clearly missions and objectives and, and story beats and stuff. Keep one character for a story beat, right? Like, don't swap out in the middle of a dungeon, right? We're not going to teleport in and out, but, like, stick around for a handful of sessions or whatever it is, get to know the party, and this way, too, you will have, and here's the agreement, you will have all of the other characters as NPCs. Right? I, I thoroughly like that. Um, I think that's that plays into um, him being a DM, and enjoying that control in his own world and then yeah. coming in as a player, I think that really allows him to have that kind of flexibility that you typically get as a DM. And honestly, I do that in Call of Cthulhu because they're all on a train across Europe right now trying to stop um, a great evil horror that the, and, and find all the pieces of artifacts and stuff. But different cities across Europe have different languages. They all have different um, skill sets that are needed for different things. And Call Cthulhu is punishing. If you fail, mm -hmm. you don't get to try again until next week, right? Like, if you get injured, you are bedridden for months. And so the players, I've told them all, build four characters. We will add cars to the train. And every time it's time to get off the train and explore a city and do a thing, you choose what character to bring. There's a little bit of an emotional disconnect. Like, they're not passionate about their characters the way that D&D players are because they haven't gone through hell with them right yeah. however they're consistently playing with mechanics they're not familiar with and trying out different things in different ways and mastering how the game is played and it puts them more into the overall storyline um and into the mechanics and this guy feels like a mechanics kind of guy right so yeah um so that would be my my suggestion to him is have him be approached in the middle of the night by a secret society right or he'll find a card that says find us here at this right and yeah. like you make it a mystery but it's for him and only him come alone right yeah, and then, i i thoroughly know. like the idea of someone approaching him in the middle of his watch because he has the alert feature mm -hmm. he's the only one in the party with the alert feature so i yeah i think that would be killer um a lot of the other stuff is going to be just essentially um items with uh, interesting tactics and these are things that are not going to complicate your job as a dm but will give them a new toy to play with essentially so a new thing they might not have played with before so i was looking at your swashbuckler tabaxi the thing that you said that you blew right past is that this guy likes to be lightning based and do lightning damage but he also damages himself when he does it give him copper wires that run the course of his body down to a copper sole on his shoe and if he can ever roll max damage or he ever crits or like you give him a couple things he can stomp his foot into an area of effect and not take the damage himself and hit everything around him that is insane right that you're is not, fun you're not changing anything except you're yeah. giving him one extra kind of attack that is very conditional yeah right that's gonna feel really fucking good when it goes off right yeah so um 
when I'm dealing with rogues specifically, one of the big complaints that I that I often run into is the fact that they can only attack one creature at a time. Whenever I manage to get a rogue with, um, let's, you know, getting at least halfway through a campaign, I want to start to give them area of effect or um, multiple targets or a cone effect or something so that they can do um, a little bit more than just sneak attack with a crossbow or sneak attack with a with a rapier, right? So um, when it comes to your soul binder human, this one is a little bit interesting for me. It's a little bit different um, because you've got this glider, you've got the friendship bracelet. You don't need a whole lot more than that. But I have a question. How does she communicate with the gray render? Um, so that's part of her class. Um, she, he can understand her. That's it. Okay. How game-breaking is it for you to be able to give her two circlets of, of telepathy? One that fits on her head, the other that fits on his thumb. Mm. And now she can understand him a limited amount of time or... Yeah. She can, or, she can, you know, get the emotions that he's feeling, maybe slight pictures or whatnot. Because yeah, um, I believe, I think we buffed it to give it uh, the intelligence. No. No, what it is it a three int? I am trying to look that up right now. Give me one second while I bring up my D and D Beyond. Was that in? That was in Tome of Foes, right? Are you using I, Tome of Foes? Or are you using Monsters of the Multiverse? Uh, foam of Toes. The Foam of Toes. Um, or as Casey and Megan call it, the Tomb of Foes, and it drives me <laughs> up the fucking wall. Oh. Um, do very render. Here we go. An intelligence of three. Um, yeah. So I would have this thing just boosted up to uh, what is what is three? Three is cats. Um, something like that. I know a giant ape is six. Yeah, which is ridiculous because they're smarter than hill giants who have a five. <laughs> um. So oh, I mean, I read into that, that what you that will. That is hilarious. So gray renders don't have. I don't believe they have their own language. No, no. languages are is just that the dash. So. Yeah. Um, let me, then this is how I do it whenever I look up intelligence, is I start looking at what the animals have. A hawk has a two. Hawks can be trained. Giant wolf spider, that doesn't help. Um, get out of giants. Camel has two. Crab has one. Constrictor snake has one. Boar has two. So it's smarter than a bear. It's dumber than a baboon. It is, an ape has an intelligence of six. I guess it, an ape can do sign language. Yeah. That gives it a, a little bit better, but where is cat and dog? There we go. Did I just go right by? Cat has an intelligence of three. There we go. Yeah. So a gray render has the intelligence of a cat. What, if you were to talk to a cat, if someone were to speak with animals, mm -hmm. how intense do you get with that? Um, personally, I I will converse with them. Um, specifically a cat, I, I would have an absolute ball with it and just be a prick. Um, yeah, my, um, Ethan, um, the DM in the game that I play, um, he had a fae uh, that was always permanently uh, polymorphed into a cat. Um, uh, are you familiar with Forlaren? I think I'm pronouncing it right. Um, so it was a special fae, basically. Um, forget what arc fae. Um, arc fae and arc devil had a baby. That baby is called a Forlaren. It's so at difference with itself that it's constantly conflicting in its nature. Do I do the 
fun whimsy thing or do I do the evil thing by the books? And so it has that inner conflict with it. So um, he made it have a split personality um, where it's it's two names. It had don't got one and don't need one. Nice. So it was super fun. What's the Grey Rider's name? Pudge. Pudge. Yep. I would really give her these these two um, circlets of telepathy, mm-hmm. but make them make them small sized. It will not fit in anyone else's head. Everybody else is medium size, right? Yeah. And see how long it takes her to realize that it can go on to the gray render's thumb or finger and it can wear it as a ring. Yeah. Um, and in the moment that it can, you go from cute growls and and purring and that kind of nonsense right to uh to this and and like you only will represent the gray renders voice when it's feeling an extreme emotion yeah so fear at the cart no 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 right or the Mm. the gets on a horse what about me right and it's this like you get two rounds of warning that the gray is about to pop off right so um i think that that would add uh especially if you want to do a voice for the gray render because you'll never do more than like a sentence at a time right mm-hmm. um i think that that would add a lot of flavor and be a lot of fun and be really rewarding because everyone wants to be able to hear what their pet says right oh absolutely and knowing the player she would go nuts over that for your monk ranger wood elf you've got a morning star whip what's the reach on that is it just still the 10 feet the standard oh i didn't cover that oh okay. oh i made a mistake um through the power of many gold and making many friends sure I have given him a reach of 30 feet. No. Uh Uh-huh. So, however, that means he doesn't get opportunity attacks. Okay, that's fair. Um, It it basically turned it into a um, ranged weapon that can also hit at five feet. uh, I have a fun idea for you. Mm -hmm. Every time, every time that you are handing out shit and loot, give him a different tip. But instead of it being bludgeoning, slashing, and piercing damage, have it be able to do one of the combat maneuvers like push, pull, trip, that kind of shit. Knock people prone. You can move them away from you. You can move them. You can hook. It's a hook. It pulls them five feet towards you uh, and gives you advantage on grappling if you can close the distance, right? Like that kind of additional um, non-damaging effects Yeah. for battlefield control. That. That is brilliant. Oh my gosh. And it's going to be even better because he always rolls like shit. Yeah, like there you go. If we can count on anyone to nat one, it's him. But the interesting thing here is that it's no longer opposing acrobatics versus acrobatics athletics. Yeah. It's just to hit. Did you hit? Yes, trip. Mm-hmm. Right. They They are now prone, right? So this is going to be all sorts of battlefield control. And then when you get them, let me see, he is a ranger. Is, uh he's going to get a bunch of different attacks and shit later on i don't know how he plans on allocating his levels but i believe right now i think he's dumping it into monk so i think he's going more monk than ranger later on i would allow him to use this stuff as a uh reaction the creature comes into your range your 30 foot range and you can use a reaction to use one of the non-damaging effects tips right so here's the issue is you can't swap the end of it in the middle of combat easily right so this would almost be a secondary whip that is so he's sitting there wielding too right um 
and uh, he can choose which one to use at any given point. Um, this is going to get everybody thinking about prone and shoving and everything mm-hmm. else, and it should add a lot to the players, but also give you some opportunities as well. To like, you've now introduced the idea of shoving people off ledges. Yeah, and now you can do this regularly as a DM. So yeah, um, the Era Coker Blade Singer is a bit of a mystery because we don't know what she's doing. But we do know that she's an Aarakocra and she's going to have wicked speed and she's going to fly and she will consistently be in danger because she is splitting the party, getting away from everyone else. Additionally, she has a history of liking to buff the rest of the party as well. I would give her a some sort of, um, like, I like to give out unique items that are not just like the breastplate of, so like a belt of, um, of family, right? Or she has, uh, tell, let her tell you about how many of her family members are alive and whatnot. And the belt, she's got a feather from, for each of them. And if she is within um, a radius of 30 feet with that number of additional party members, then she will get plus one to AC magically. That's going to tie her to the party and and have her watching her battlefield control, or, or rather her battlefield position a lot more. Um, and it's going to have her consistently able to, um, or you know what, or give plus one AC as a reaction to someone else, right? Because she likes to buff other people. Yeah, absolutely. That would that would definitely um, provide her more of that um, battlefield support rather yeah. than control that you don't quite get from a wizard. You usually get that from more of the divine classes. Also, because she's one of your more emotionally sensitive people at the table, and there's really nothing wrong with that, I feel they make for great role players. But because she's going to be more sensitive overall, I would rather give it to other people instead of her, because when she stays... You, I saw this with the Twilight Cleric. Whenever Casey was beside other people to keep them in, in the um, radius and they would get this boost, they would then move out of it and they would say to her, sorry, I've got to go. And it connected them in a role play moment as players, like within initiative. Um, and and they would stop and think I should stay close as opposed to, you know, just going off to do their own thing. But when I've noticed in the past that you have this person sets it up and that person sets up their part and then the third person is supposed to get that big killing blow and they mm-hmm. don't follow the plan. Like I'll cast darkness, you cast silence and I'll hit them with fireball and two people are do their role and the last person doesn't right? The other two people feel like they've been, you know, they, they've got the short end of the stick, right? Yeah. Well, we wasted our shit. Um, if she is trying to keep everyone together so she can get the bonus, but everyone else fucks off because it doesn't affect them, she will feel like this is not necessarily as, yeah. as important or as, there's not yeah. the wow factor there, but if it's going to other but if people- if she can give it to them. Yeah. And they will be more appreciative and they will stay with so yeah um for your young green dragon who's polymorphed to look like a U1T, there's so much shit going on here that it's hard to grab necessarily one thing um i am i am big on the idea of him playing with poisons and that's going to be the thing but is he just doing poison damage on weapons is that his um so i specifically told him he's not allowed to put his poison onto weapons for people because then they could abuse that um so aside from that um it's i mean he's going with the whole flavor for it so his spells are poison damage um i i re-flavored um what is it uh firebolt 
to do poison damage because there's so much stuff that resists poison damage. Giving it a D10 isn't the biggest thing yeah, in the world. No, that, yeah, that's totally so fine. that was an easy uh, hand wave for me. Um, so what, a what lot do they of it, think he is? They think he's a Yuan-Ti pureblood. Uh, no, no, they no think but like he, what, what class? Um, so they know he's a sorcerer, okay. um, but they don't know what subclass because um, Tyler's the homebrew guy. So he's some homebrewed subclass. So I did a thing on one of my crit tables. a lot. So my initial note that I wrote down here was poison delivery system. Some poisons have to be inhaled, some ingested, and some are contact. Some are by injury as opposed to just contact as well. But it doesn't sound like he uses a lot of physical weapons. So if it's mostly spells, it's not necessarily going to translate to whether or not you drank it or you got an open wound with it, right? Like, however, I had a thing on a crit table. Um, I'm looking at the idea that he likes to charm people as well. On the crit table, if they rolled a specific thing, the enemy that they were fighting would be overwhelmed and sw and swap sides until the next long rest. I will be your guide. I will be your friend. I will be your porter. I will be your whipping boy. I'll do whatever you want. Please don't kill me. That, I think, would um, kind of fit in with his um, idea for the character. Because... Um, so on my document where I go, where I have a list of all my dragons uh, yeah. that are named and all that, um, I have his draconic name, which is Etheriax, something like that. Uh, yeah, um, it's a good draconic name. It's yeah. it's a nice one. Um, but uh, where the description of him would be, I put what he wanted to be the quote, and it's your best friend. And so that's the whole vibe he's going for. Is he's going? Oh, I'm Iago. I'm your best friend. It's awful and fantastic. Um, he took inspiration from uh, Iago, the character. Yeah. I forget what it's from, but um, not the Aladdin one. No, the, the original Iago from yeah. uh, Shakespeare. Yeah. But the uh, the idea here with charm is, and this is something as simple as a pendant, mm -hmm. right? Um, and only he would know that he that only green dragons can attune to it right but the pendant would be something as simple as if because most charm stuff is a save right mm -hmm. if a creature fails by five or more then this additional effect happens they're charmed for twice as long they cannot repeat saves they uh will um they will be charmed until the end or the yeah the end of the next short rest but no matter what it is, because you're giving this, you got to balance it, right? Um, it can only be for one creature at a time, and it can only, and they will know that they have been charmed when it wears off. So he's not going to just take over a kingdom, right? So, like it, there is something limited, but it pulls in that hobgoblin that you are interrogating now. If they fail their save, they might just tell you everything. It doesn't change what they want it just makes them what and then whatever the effect is of whatever the spell suggestion yeah. charm person friends what whatever right so he's going to stop and look at what those effects are a whole lot more and he's going to be um far more focused on what his spell casting modifier is or his spell save dc and that kind of shit right yeah. so um as he gets more powerful maybe it's if they uh fail by 10 or more so he's like okay this may pop off when you the dm totally fuck up a roll yeah. but then every time that his proficiency modifier changes by one this thing changes by two and makes it easier and easier and easier for him right that's killer i like that yeah so um that brings us to our 
classic Marvel superhero of uh, I say the words and summon Thor, right? Yeah. That's Thor's background. That's Sentry's background. That's like, there's so many. I think Firestorm in DC is the same mm-hmm. thing. Like I put on or I say, or I allow the other persona to come forward. Now I have superpowers, right? Yeah. Um, This one is hard to give anything in particular to because are you rewarding the human or the amethyst dragonborn? Yeah. And if you reward the human and make them feel any feel that much better, then they're it undermines the amethyst dragonborn. Mm-hmm. But if you reward the amethyst dragonborn, they're going to be the human a whole lot less. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So it has to be something that that hits for both of them. Um, does everyone else know that this is happening? Yep. Um, at this but, point, it's. It's I don't mean the party. Members. I mean, I mean the NPCs. Is this like in the world? Yeah. So, um, the character Superior, um, has been known throughout the centuries. <laughs> it's it I'm was it, my head. the yeah. name is there, man. It's too yeah. good. Um, Fuck. so he's been around for centuries. He has been the hero of the city Anyalak. Um, he's been their guy, their number one dude. Um. Folk, folk hero background kind of helps me enforce that. Um, but it is well known that Superior used to be a live, living, breathing Amethyst Dragonborn. And then Eros chose him, infused his soul into this armor, and now whoever dons it, he shall have the power of the mighty Superior. So, so. so they know that your human is, like the average person knows the human is walking around with this armor and can do this at any point. They know that someone named Ted is the host for Superior, but your average Joe on the street couldn't pick out Ted because he's just that mundane of a dude. It's a that's a really airtight build, and it's so good. And to reward one is to take away from another, right? Mm-hmm. Compelled duel in the mall is really fucking interesting as well. But can you like? I don't know where to go with this because we're what side do we reward? Is the question. Um, what the so talk about the player? What's their like besides being late? What's the thing that's that's well, annoying? So his his entire goal with this character was to really pl- like play into that protector role. Um, uh, do, 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 do. what was I thinking with that? Oh, um, does he have to be attuned to the to the helm? No. Could you give the helm to anybody else? He could, but the helm has to choose them. In which I roll a percentile dice and see how it goes. Okay, so you have a mechanic for that already. Yeah. Um, granted, I can change up that mechanic because he doesn't know about it. But oh. Oh, I know. Uh, okay, so you're a lot younger than me, but you absolutely probably are not familiar with He-Man. The I'm, cartoon. I'm very familiar with He-Man. And, I grew up on it. Okay, cool. And Battle Cat. I'm sure that this knight had a mount. I'm sure yes. that mount had barding of some sort. And I'm sure that it can also just be a cat yeah. that follows around Ted, right? Ted's pet canary that he throws up says the magic word and then the pet canary becomes you know a uh, uh, wyvern that can be ridden or something right like the the mount and it is a it's got to be an item that can be given to other pets but it also has to be an item of protection as well to the mundane because those pets like 
that pet has an AC of 20 and 20 earn a plus 10 to every save, right? Like something like that so that your canary doesn't just die in the middle of a dungeon, right? Like Yeah, absolutely. And it works out super well. Um, Ted was a farming boy. So he would have some kind of farm animal that if and when I can get them to go back home, which they just defeated a dragon, they're all going to be going home in their yeah. due time. Um, super easy for me to have this. And I think that maybe that's an item that can be found in the horde. And then mm-hmm. he puts it on the... Absolutely. Um, and like, if he's still superior when he finds the piece of the horde, he would know what this does. Yeah. Right? So there's no question in his mind. And let's go home to the beloved pet on the farm. Like, pray to God he doesn't pick a goat or a pig or something, right? <laughs> like, um, but what do they turn into? And yeah. you've got um, an amethyst dragon. Would you give him a dragon L? I mean, maybe. Um, the first thing that comes to my mind is um, with him being uh, the specific chosen hero of Erois, I'd want to do something themed around him. What's his theme? Um, that's the part that confuses me about him because he's half man, half bull, but he's centaur shaped. So I just spell it. Uh, I-R-O-A-S. He's uh, from Theros. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The god of victory. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. The single chosen champion of the god of victory is named Superior. Have you ever seen the movie The Last Unicorn? No, I have not. So The Last Unicorn is great for a number of different reasons, but I'm not pitching that right now. Uh, at the end of it, though, there is a the beast that needs to be fought. The big scary beast is a red bull wreathed in flames. Um, there are aurochs. Oh shit! There are aurochs. Um, those are the um, the mounts. They look like essentially giant oxen on like hairy oxen on steroids. How do you the spell? Orcs ride into battle. A U R. I think U C H or O C H. There it is. They're they are real things, but in D and D, they are um, they are like the battle mounts of orcs, but they are bull themed. Gotcha. Were like they, really they crazy even have horns four horns too. Yeah, from what I'm seeing. Yeah, that's awesome. So the and again as a mount, you tie the mount into the action economy, so it goes on his turn, right? And it, it mm-hmm. if it charges this many feet in this direction, it can do this much extra damage or yeah. have a chance to knock them prone, right? It essentially acts as increased movement and potential battlefield control on one target. Yeah. So it's not going to change anything too much, and it's not also it's also not going to be really worthwhile in every situation, right? Yeah, You're not no going to pull this guy out for a bar fight. You're not going to pull this guy out in in narrow hallways underground. Yeah, not going right? to walk him into the dungeon. Exactly, but it would be great on an open battlefield. Um, and because they're woolly, he's going to survive up in the north when you get to the mind flayers. Mm-hmm. Yep, I like it. All right, two, three, four, five, six. Was this the one that you said you were going to have difficulty with? Yeah. Okay. I was going to say, I thought you said one was going to be difficult. Here you are spitting incredible well, the, ideas. I had, a, I had a backup plan for the Grey Render as well, because um, mm-hmm. I wasn't wild about the telepathic communication. A lot of others are getting mechanical bonuses, and she's not. Yeah. Um, and so um, what I was thinking of instead was, I mean, I don't know how your players would react. Some tables would roll their eyes, and some people would love it. 
um, is I have what's called the cage of holding, which is just a bag of holding, but you can infinitely store creatures in it. And it so it essentially acts as a Pokeball, right? Gotcha. So yeah. you say the word, I choose you, poof, and this, and your creature comes out ready to fucking go, right? Completely I'm healed have up. To write that down. Right. So that might be another option as well, so that she can sneak the gray render in. Mm-hmm. And but it's a cage of holding, and it looks like a little stone carving of a cage with no door on it yeah you just press it against the creature and say the word and a willing creature and it goes in right mm-hmm. and as far that, as the gray render is concerned it's gray render paradise yeah right so. um that that's going to be something that i'd 100 run by her um with the way that uh soul binder is made um, she can take him and shrink him down into tiny size mm-hmm. and disguise him. Okay. So because she's because she picked the monstrosity one, they're going, oh, you have a monstrosity. How do you bring it into a city? Yeah. So um, right now she has it um, as a like some – I want to say it's like some kind of bully uh, breed dog. So Okay. He's a big he's a big pupper, but at the same time, um, having a pokeball is sick. And I think that there are a few different ways that you could bring that in, right? But um, the other thing that I would really think about doing, because uh, you've established this in your world, mm-hmm. and this is just me how I would run it, um, is uh, at high levels the soul binder is able to actually share a body with the with the thing. So you've already established that with your amethyst dragon and your human yeah that that... would be something i would do um unfortunately that's a feature of one of the different subclasses ah okay so well but at that point i look at it and i go well do i just grab that feature and staple it over easy gift right there i often do that where i pull shit out of another subclass Mm -hmm. and give it especially i will pull it out of a subclass give it to a different class altogether yeah um i really like giving the champion fighter the assassin, the ability mm-hmm. to assassinate, um, as long as they go early enough in in combat, like shit, like that. So yeah. Um. Anyways, how do you feel about those the the different rewards for them? Um. Honestly, all of them seem a bit too on the nose for my players. Not even the characters. I'm a bit freaked out at how much you could uh, derive about my players just from the quick uh quick quick review I did of them. <laughs> so. All of it's um, are they, super good for them. Yeah, you think they're, they'll enjoy it? Oh yeah, one hundred percent. What's um, the what's the weakest one? Um, in my opinion, I'd say that the weakest is going to be the one of giving my my DM at the at my table a group of PCs to play. Um, it's it's good. Don't get me wrong, but at the same time, um, I'm hesitant to give him a group of PCs that he can just you know take in and out um this would almost be like hey every time that we level you get summoned away for something else and bring in so like yeah this would not be something that happens every session or even every other session yeah i'd have to have him commit to one for like an entire arc or something yeah and that's just it to let him try it out because the worst thing that happens is the player gets bored and then either stops coming to sessions or starts pulling focus or starts to make ridiculous decisions because they don't care about the character anymore. Yeah. Right. So, um, yeah, I, I think that you said he's really excited to play other things. I have Dan and, and, um, and Dan has Brad and both of these two players theory craft on the regular, like I'm bored Mm -hmm. at lunch. I can, I'm going to build a new character. It's going to take me 15 minutes. I really like this. So they, they theory craft the shit out of stuff all of the time. 
but the way to keep them engaged, uh, I found, is to just have a narrative reason for it and always have something else to pull them back in. Yeah. Um, it sounds like you've got a really good handle on everybody's backstories and whatnot. To the an ability extent. to narratively engage them as well. And uh, the other players are probably engaging them too. Like it sounds like there's some oh, relationships yeah. there. So well, the, the biggest one um, that confuses me about his retiring um, or his characters retiring um, is right now he is the uh, quote unquote adopted uncle of the nine-year-old. Okay. Um, it's him and the green dragon that are raising a nine-year-old and he's playing a grizzled uh, done with this old southerner so it's it's a recipe for something that's for sure you're getting the option he might not like the player might take it and then have to work it into the character i mean that's the player's job is to -hmm. justify it then um another option that you could go with uh have you investigated anything like incendiary rounds or smoke rounds so like those I'm those assuming. come with the class. Yeah, yeah. I'm assuming mm-hmm. that there would be. Um, and do you play with other um, damage types besides just fire? Um, so, so he's got various modifications that he can make to his guns um, due to the subclass. Um, but the biggest thing that he is stuck with is the piercing damage of the bullets. So it'll do X piercing and X elemental damage. Is he interested in adding artificer to it? Because you know the artillerist, yeah, has a as that little walking turret that follows him around, yeah. and that's that adds a little bit more to your um, your action economy, um, a little bit, but it's not super game breaking any more than you know the steel defender is for the you know the. Um, Originally, Battlesmith. There we go. Yeah. Um, gotcha. So there could be some interesting information there. Um, and he's got access to these guns that he's got to keep secret. But if you only have one artificer in the world, he could become an apprentice for the artificer. Yeah. Right. Him of all people. He uh, um, already had an in character conversation about how to make trains. So oh, that was a fun time. Um, it it basically boiled down to um, the artificer holding up like a match that was lit and inserting it into a box and letting it go. And he goes, so this is trains. And it okay. was, oh, it was hilarious. Yeah, that's but... fun. Um, what about, okay. So he's got this black powder or like is he using gunpowder or black powder or. So he's technically crafting his own gunpowder. What black a... powder doesn't didn't exist in my world um then he used an explosive against hobgoblins they came up did some forensics and were like hmm we could probably make this and now hobgoblins have explosives too okay what about this what if he finds a scroll with a recipe and the recipe inside of it um gives you there are 14 different character types let's say not plants undead constructs or humanoids but everything else i think has blood humanoids do too but i wouldn't give them humanoids so 10 of the 14 so there are 10 recipes if he can collect let's say a vial a flask you choose make it make it difficult enough that he has to kill two or three creatures but of their blood and mix it in then he can create one round that will have advantage plus two to hit or plus or an extra d4 damage to that specific creature type gotcha so now he's harvesting yeah 
right? And and getting involved, not undead because there's tons of them and it's too easy, mm-hmm. not constructs or plants because they don't bleed, yeah. and not humanoids because that's, that's dark. Yeah. <laughs> so, but can you imagine what it's going to be like? To, he knows he got to fight a white dragon. Like he will be collecting dragon blood, right? Mm-hmm. And that would be, um, and you can say, you know, hey, it's a different recipe for chromatic versus metallic, right? Or, um, but this would let him start killing mind flayers and then crafting mind flayer damaging bullets later on, right? Because they're all aberrations. Yeah, I am thoroughly. Um, I, I like that a lot. Um, he, in in one of his games, I told him that I was going to take a great sword that my character had. We were running away from people shooting arrows at us, and I said. I want to take my greatsword and position it so that it's right in line with my head, because uh, it was very similar to Cloud Strife's sword from yeah. Final Fantasy VII. Yeah. Um, I want to position it in front of my head so that they potentially can't hit me in my head. And he looked at me and he went, because it's all creative, I'm going to give you a plus one AC for that. I like that. That's really yeah. clever. So he absolutely is the kind of guy who looks at that stuff and goes, yeah. Yeah, give him a give him a medicine kit and so and but always make him do medicine checks to collect the blood right what the dead druid had a medicine kit uh well, <laughs> well i mean did they loot the body oh yeah they're bringing her back for funeral rites and everything well there you go like this could be something that that is going to engage him after combat as well um but there would be things that maybe it's not maybe it's not necessarily a certain amount of blood but it's it has to be a certain amount of blood that's still warm right so it has to be the last creature that is killed in uh in initiative right so if they kill the thing first that he wants to harvest from yeah is he gonna sit there and be like not yet not yet not yet <laughs> right and work yeah, on clever the, the timing so mm-hmm. so like i would just have it be or maybe he specifically has to be the one to kill it so he's always begging sense. for the call shot the call shot right so, yeah so something along those lines to force yeah. him to think about combat a little bit differently and about looting the body everybody else going after golden weapons and armor and magic items and he's like give me the blood mm-hmm. right like it could add a little bit more of a um, of a justification for like when he walks into town and they go, the town guards go through his bags and they're like, you sure do got lots of blood here. <laughs> but think about it as well. Like if he has a backpack on, he falls 80 feet off a cliff. There goes all of it. Yeah. Right. So mm-hmm. he'll have to have different flasks or, you know, yeah. keep it all in a, in a bag of holding, or you could give him a, um, uh, like the scroll is tucked into a small loop in a belt that has just a whole bunch of glass flasks or iron flasks or something okay. in there as well, right? So yeah, I got you. Um, so that he could collect. So that that's kind of where I'm coming from on on how I would give these guys the next kind of step towards thinking beyond what they're used to doing in in character, yeah. right? Um, I'm not. I'm not super wild about the green dragon in the first place. I would never let anybody play a dragon in my campaign. Yeah, That's... It, it took a lot of begging on his end. <laughs> and but... like, yeah, I know that Peps has played a dragon. I, I have, I myself have played a dragon in campaign mm. was 3.5. I know that Dave and Dan have both played dragons and Brad was looking at it at one point. I think it was Brad was looking at mm. it at one point. And like, this is a common thing for people. I've yeah. seen a lot of Kickstarters, and a lot of uh, free PDFs on Reddit and shit about this. So 
Um, I always have mixed opinions and I never think anybody does it properly. So yeah. I like that you have tweaked it to work for your table because that's the right answer. Yeah. Fit the player, fit the table. Yeah. I got someone to give me the guide for it from there. I'll yeah. do everything as needed. Yeah. So I really like the idea of charming and leaning into the green dragon's persona mm -hmm. instead of necessarily the poison, like different kinds of poisons and that kind yeah. of shit as well. So Yeah. Why worry about poisoning someone if you could just breathe on them? Yeah. Um, do you have any uh, final thoughts before we, we wrap this episode up? This was supposed um, to be in my head. I'm like, oh, it'll be like an hour and a half and we're on like hour three. Yeah. I, um, no real final thoughts. Um, it's been an absolute blast. I've definitely uh, calmed down quite a bit. <laughs> right. Like at some point you realize that a podcast is just a recorded conversation. Yeah. Um, where you don't say your home address out loud. Uh, the... Oh. Oh, oh, my bad. <laughs> yeah, we'll cut that. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> okay, okay. So uh, the um, reminders for the listeners that I have here is whenever it comes to a request, stay fluid. Be mm -hmm. able to go back and forth. Like the retiring into the guild, I thought was really cool for storyline purposes, but it does, it isn't. It doesn't work because there are other storyline hooks involved, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the uh, the idea of the telepathic communication felt good until you put it up against everything else, and it felt imbalanced, right? Gotcha. So, so a pokeball okay. on top of that kind of balances it a little bit better. Yeah. Poison I delivery see. system felt. I don't know. It feels like I'm projecting as well, and it's also going to be underwhelming because you're going to hit tier four and nothing. It everything's immune to poison in tier four, mm -hmm. right? So, um, so having the ability to charm is interesting. I would be very specific about charm as well. Have you noticed if you're playing out of any of the new books that everything now is like fey and constructs and like and charming yeah. is specifically humanoids? Have you spoken to your player about like? So we have someone at our table who has um, their red line kind of on par with charms and whatnot. If mm -hmm. you took if you took charm and made it horny. That's sure. his red line. Um, so it's it's a very dangerous line that he's walking. However, he has had personal conversation with that player and said, hey, look, I'm never going to approach this. You let yeah. me know if I'm coming close to approaching it and we can cut it right there. I'll drop the spell. We'll get find, found out. It'll be fun. We can roll with the punches. So. I've always said that I think enchantment is the most evil of all of the absolutely uh, the spell schools and like necromancy feels like it should be the most evil or evocation but enchantment mm -hmm. is well, we talked about giving players agency and then we immediately take away free will right. like there's evil and then there's twisted yeah so my final thoughts for people listening is of course stay fluid don't be afraid to be a little bit meta your players are meta as well um they just don't admit it um creature types and intelligence scores are your friends i just want to say that like you you've seen me turn to creature types a couple of times um we talked about intelligence scores for the telepathic communication with the creature um but intelligence scores are also interesting to uh lean into when it comes to items because you can um you can get into whether or not your your player's character is smart enough to figure shit out. Like, what's the right way to use this as well? A lot of the times, like with the telepathic communication, I said, give out these two circlets. How mm. long is this girl going to be sitting there before she realizes, oh, it fits on his thumb? Your player plays for 
eight hours every two weeks. Your character, her character, lives and breathes this world. And kids put shit in things all the time. It'd take her probably two days, Yeah. right? What's her intelligence score? Have a role in intelligence to figure it out. And then she should, like, if the moment that she rolls a nat 20 on an intelligence check, it'd be like, oh, this fits. And it's just like an inspiration kind of check, yeah. right? So Absolutely. Um, remember, you can always take it away later if it's not working out or if it's too powerful. And it is okay to have short imbalances and spotlighting one character for, like, if you don't want to hand out all of this shit at once and you want to drag it out over a number of sessions, that's fine. Just start with the least powerful or the least rewarded or the um, most emotionally needy, like... Mm -hmm. The person's not going to sit there and go, welcome everybody else got something cool and I'm the last one, right? Like, yeah. you should be able to figure out who to hand it out to. Also, Pretty hold easy. off on those combat items, too. Anything yeah. that's focused for combat, make sure that's last. Yeah, and if everybody else is like, well, where's my thing, where's my thing, where's my thing for combat? Because a few of these are combat, but not yeah. a lot of them, right? Mm -hmm. If everyone else is wondering where their shit is, then this is where I start looking at you will have uh, advantage with the silver weapon against like it's like yeah. I'm just going to round you out with other magic items that you're going to find on the magic table A or B of the DMG yeah. like that. Right. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of fun little magical trinkets on, in different books and stuff. The, so. I will say the trinket, the fey trinket table in Wild Beyond the Witchlight has done wonders for me with this nine-year-old character um well, she remember, has about four of them there are two other trinket tables that exist in fifth edition mm -hmm. one of them is in curse of Strahd, and it's all like weird dark gothic shit okay and one of them is in rhyme of the frost maiden and it's all like like northern um oh, Arctic fun. Shit. Okay. you're heading to the to the north later remember mm -hmm. there's one in rhyme of the frost maiden so i'm gonna have to yeah um if there's no any uh, final thoughts other than that, we can uh, we can wrap this episode up. Is there any people or personal social media projects you'd like to shout out or anything like that? Um, well, other than my table, um, I know my brother listens to you guys about as regularly as I do. Well, um, he shouldn't be listening now. Right. Um, I'll tell him to cut to the very last end, find the final <laughs> thoughts. Yeah. Hear that I called him out on his BS and all that. Actually, I suppose. Oh, wait, no, 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 because we're making items. Um, but yeah, him, um, quiet shout out to, you know, all the sleeping people around me. Um, <laughs> that thanks for them for, you know, being courteous to me. Um, and uh, I mean, big thanks to you for, you know, taking your time and actually going through all this. Um, I think it's super cool that you guys have offered this as part of um, one of the tiers of Patreon. Super, super cool. Well, we have been waiting to find out some way to to do this without mm. overwhelming our shit, right? Because yeah. you never know what, like, it's Mimic, you never know what you're going to get. But we never know what we're going to get when we do this kind of thing with, with people. Um, we did a couple of homebrew episodes with uh, Brian the Bearded Nerd, like, I don't know, 100 episodes ago or something like yeah. that. And he was really phenomenal. It was great. But we had to split that up into two episodes because it was a rambly time. And he's phenomenal. We just got rambly on those, yeah. right? So it's easy for me to be able to look across the table at Kyle or Terry and be like, dude, wrap it the fuck up, right? Yeah. But um but uh these we've been waiting to find a, a fun way to do it 
Um, I think the next step beyond this is if we ever get to a con, yeah. we're going to just set up a mic in a little quietish booth and get people to talk about their D&D shit. Like ask one question or tell me about your D&D character or because mm -hmm. man, everyone wants to talk about the campaign and nobody gives a shit about your campaign. Yeah. <laughs> right. But, but we give a shit. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, anyway, that's all for our discussion on granting players wishes. Thank you, Travis, for choosing this topic, creating this conversation with me, and supporting the Patreon. And uh, thank you for listening to another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. If you'd like to support us, we have a donate button on our website, www.itsamimic.com, a store with some It's a Mimic merch, and a Patreon. This episode and others can also be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and most other podcast apps. Thanks again for listening to It's a Mimic, where you never know what you're going to get. Thank you.